On this week's episode of Friend Code, we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition and the extra story Future Connected, as well as what may be in store for the future of Xenoblade Chronicles and Monolith Soft. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Friend Code. I'm your host, Michael Damiani. This week, I'm joined by two very special guests, Don Koopman. Hello, everybody. And Ash Paulson. Hello there. Hope you two are staying safe and doing well, as well as the rest of our audience, both viewers and listeners. Um, Absolutely. We are here to talk about Xenoblade Chronicles and Monolith Soft. This is an episode that has been a while in the making. Uh, Definitive Edition came out in May. Uh, it took me a while to get through it and Future Connected, so we are here in near the end of July, so two months later. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that's a, you know that's not unfair. The game's a long game, and it takes a little bit of time to get through it. So I, I wanted to savor this game. I wanted to. I had already played it before back on Wii, so I wanted to take my ch- time and enjoy this. And I have to say, it's just as much fun playing through it as the as the first time I played through it. And I kind of would like to start there, uh, rather than doing any kind of like openers or anything like that. We have a lot to talk about, and I want to start with Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. And I want to talk about how we feel about it in 2020. And I got a few bullet points I want to cover. And I want to start with, uh, I want to start with like your general feelings, but most importantly, it's RPG. RPGs are known for stories. Uh, how you, okay. how'd you like the story? How are you liking the story of, of Xenoblade Chronicles in 2020? Well, I played it back on the Wii as well. And uh, it's been, you know, that was 10 years ago though. So it's, you know, I'm re- almost feel like I'm rediscovering it, uh, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually still right in the midst of my playthrough, Damiani. I, uh, if, if you're aware, Game Explain's been doing this game club thing, and mm-hmm. our uh, and our first game was Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door. Oh, right, because I talked to you about it uh, for for Ben, borrowing his copy. But yeah, so our first game was The Thousand Year Door, and that took up a nice forty hours of my time right after it came out. So uh, I'm I'm only now uh, kind of about <clears throat> only about seventy hours in. Uh, but of course, this is Xenoblade, so it's a massive game. So I'm in the midst of my replay right now, but I am loving it. And I'm loving rediscovering the story because, again, it's been just long enough that I remember the, the broad strokes, but I don't remember a lot of the smaller kind of uh, finer twists and turns and uh, and stuff like that. So it feels like I'm almost playing it again for like the first and a half time, if that makes sense. And uh, I'm really having a great time. That makes perfect sense to me because it had been roughly 10 years since I touched the, right. the game. And while I remembered many of the beats, there, there were points where I, was, I, I had to recall, like, I actually forget what comes up right here. And then I'd be like, oh, oh, yeah. It, it, it was a nice refresher, but I was pleasantly surprised again at uh, some of the, as you said, the twist and stuff. And I actually forgot to mention uh, this question about story. Uh, it was actually brought up by a patron of ours, Straw Hat Ninja, I believe. Ash, you're nice. familiar with them. Uh, they had a greetings for, for all of us. Uh, they wanted to say, I think the story in Xenoblade still stands up as one of the best stories told in an RPG. The twists are so good and unexpected. Um, and they just want to know, how did it hold up on a second playthrough? So I'm kind of curious, uh, Don, how, how you feel about Xenoblade's story? I love it. Um, it's just Shulk going on adventure with his friends. And it's it's that kindness to it that I really appreciate. Um, it's never a fully negative RPG, though when the twists come, then it really starts dropping the ball into the darker stuff. But until that point, I always feel like it's a very optimistic game, um, trying to look at the future and trying to change it. And that's why I really appreciate Xenoblade Chronicles, like the original. 
Um, there are some gripes I have with the others, but this one still stands for me as one of the best stories through and through. Yeah, I, I, I think on my second playthrough, uh, I have to say, like, I, I love Xenoblade's story. And yeah, the same. first time I played through it back on the Wii, I have to say at probably the biggest plot twist of the game, uh, and I won't say what it was, but yeah. it, you kind of alluded to, it gets a little bit darker. Or the tone gets a little bit darker at that point. I seem to not, re- I didn't really, I wasn't on board with it. I got kind of mm. turned off by that twist and everything that followed because at that point we were working towards a resolution. I thought the resolution they worked towards was really great. I, I think it fit perfectly with everything that was leading up to that point. And I felt, me not betrayed, but just disappointed in we have to rely. It felt like a gimmick maybe at the point. It's hard to remember 10 years ago, like perfectly, but right. on my playthrough of Definitive Edition, I actually rather enjoyed the twist this time around and everything that followed. Yeah. I didn't have as much of a problem with it. Like, I think the Mechon attack is just a plot point to move the story along and move to that point, which when at that point you come, it's one of the most intriguing plot twists after one another. And I think that the first time you kind of shocked in the change of tone. Um, but when you go the second back into it, and you start remembering things, it, it's such an important ride because that final section of the game uh, brings everything together in a much tighter package um, than the first part because you're kind of roaming around and doing your own thing. When you get in that through that second half or that third, I guess, it's uh, like moving towards a direction I think newcomers didn't really expect. Um, and I think that's what really strikes me about it every time i go back through it um and i've played that game seven times now wow like i i still get like goosebumps from that moment because Mm -hmm. um you freeze something and it sets a whole set of events in motion that leads to that final and once again you were expecting the mechon attack to be it but then it completely throws it upside down and you have to do with an entire different thread that first of all, if you've never played it before, you were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I I think, yeah, maybe it was also, it was like the, towards the end, it gets a little bit more heavy handed because (laughs) one of the things I wanted to praise about the story, even I felt this way for the first time I played from the first moment I played through this whole entire game I think in general, the game, even though it's at a slower pace, I think it moves at a pretty good pace. Yeah. Uh, it allows you time yeah. to breathe and enjoy mm-hmm. the game. This will kind of tie into some stuff we'll talk about later, like the scale of the game, the environment. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think it affords you a lot of opportunity to enjoy that part of the game. So, and for the most part, up until that point, it's never <clears> overbearing. <throat> doesn't weigh you down with excessive cutscenes. In fact, uh, Takahashi, uh, Tetsuya Takahashi, uh, one of the co-founders of Monolith Soft, uh, you know, director producer on a lot of like xeno projects uh basically said that you know the old they learned a lesson from like xeno xeno saga that excessive cutscenes was like an older style that didn't really work Uh anymore and they wanted to go in a different direction with xenoblade chronicles and again i think it shows it feels like i love the characters i felt like they have really good chemistry they give them enough time to develop and form bonds and Mm -hmm. I, i i just really appreciated it just allowing you to indulge yourself in more of the gameplay and design elements and and they never tripped up on the story with that. And I, I think they really nailed that. 
Yeah, Xenoblade is one of those rare JRPGs where really the story and the characters are both fantastic components mm -hmm. that come together in this into this wonderful whole. You know, in a lot of RPGs, you get it's either or. Man, this world's really cool, but the characters, and eh, or man, I love this <laughs> cast of characters, but the, but what they're doing in the world that surrounds them isn't that interesting. Xenoblade is one of those you know rare RPGs that brings together both and they're both really strong um mm -hmm. for me as i've been as i've been doing my replay uh i have found that for me it's been mostly for about the characters for me like i love the wider world i love the the uh Absolutely. the intrigue of the overall story as you guys are talking about the mech on attack which leads to something much much uh greater something you're not expecting uh, but i've been really focusing on those small character moments and the character interactions mm. and i think to for me that's where xenoblade really shines like Xenoblade 2, I enjoyed it, but I, I never, it never hit those highs for me, especially with the characters. And uh, I have to say, a huge part of that too is Adam Halden's Shulk. Like right. that man is the best screamer. He has the best scream <laughs> in all of video games. It's just the best. He's just such a good voice actor, and they all are. And it's, mm. it's also such a unique dub too with, with the, you know, the British accents and it's not something you see very often and it just all comes together to give Xenoblade a flavor that no other JRPG has, like period. It's just so unique in that sense. Mm. When, when talking to characters, um, I think that Charla is my favorite section of that entire game oh, because okay. she knows she's coping with the entire mech on war and how to deal with the loss of his husband, uh, where his where their friends are from the colony, and you constantly go through those tunnels. And every time it points to a cutscene, uh, Charlotte becomes more and more unsure of what to do. Um, and then Shulk is kind of roped into it because he gets a vision about what's going to happen with Charlotte's friends. So when you get to that end of that chapter, um, it builds up to a build up Shulk's confidence and b uh, see Charlotte throw into the mix as more of a party member than an outsider. Right, right. No, I, I love that part of the game as well. And I think Charlotte <clears throat> is very interesting for her own reasons, especially what she has to go through later on. Uh, you know, staying vague for those of you yes. who might be still playing it. But, um, <laughs> but one thing about that, that part of the game, I will say, I just, I want to smack Juju all <laughs> the time. I just want to smack that kid. Oh, he's so annoying. He's so annoying the whole time. Why did he go to the colony all by himself? That right? was a because bad he's plan. Juju. Because Juju, that's why. Because Juju. Yeah. Gotta get Ryan to scold him. Right. A little harder next time. Although, uh, crap, I'm forgetting their, their name and future connected. Uh, was it Tareen or not? Not Terea, because that's the that's the not blood sister of Malia, but the little uh, Hyantia kid uh, and Future Connected. Oh, I have not yeah, played yeah. Future Connected yet. Uh, the, the, the scientist boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually hated them more than Juju. <laughs> I was really? A, okay. I mean, really? their, their story Their story was good. Uh, I think it was the voice actor. Uh, I think it was extremely phoned in and the voice didn't fit the character. So it was really hard for me to get invested in that character. That. Um, mm -hmm. Which is also... Funny, funny is uh, my issue with Xenoblade Chronicles 2's cast is that I ha it wasn't the voice work. It was mostly that I couldn't get into a lot of the major uh, main characters. Like I hated Rex, I hated Pyra and right. Mithra. I didn't like the designs. It was like they hated them. Like, like Nia, Zeke, and uh, and uh, uh, Morag uh, were like the salvageable characters, the ones I found interesting. Sure. But it wasn't enough. Whereas in Xenoblade Chronicles One. I, 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 you like Charlotte. You, 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 I, I liked, 
I mean, I liked all of them. I even liked Ryan. I, I thought Ryan had yeah. a good right. arc as well. It might not have been my, my mm-hmm. favorite character, but I I just enjoyed my time with all of them. And of course, you know, like Ricky coming in, like in no ponds <laughs> and stuff. It's like, so everyone had their charm yeah. and personality. And I, I, I just, it's hard to like this for me to dislike any of the characters in Xenoblade Chronicles. Right, yeah. I think that's also sort of the problem with Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It misses the charm of one where um, all the characters in one, the moment they come on screen, you know their defined personalities and what they are going through. With two, they kind of leave it ambiguous and only leave it to the final few chapters of the game. So you're not sure why Rex is acting the way he does. And only when that turn comes in that game, gets he serious. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a lot yeah. of problems with with Xenoblade Chronicles 2's story. Same. Um, without yeah. getting into, obviously not getting into spoilers, I think it might have, I might have liked its conclusion a little bit better. Um, there, that's a landmine of spoilers in there, obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But like the startup to it, uh, had a lot of trouble with the world building compared to Xenoblade Chronicles One. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I just the just the general vibe of the sequel just didn't. I mean, <clears throat> sorry, Xenoblade Chronicles Two because X technically came out first uh <laughs> even though it's not the sequel uh, it's a whole complicated yeah. matter but anyway yeah Xenoblade chronicles 2 just didn't do it for me like Xenoblade chronicles does you know even with the same edition <clears throat> and it, it goes beyond even just like the story uh, uh there's so many other elements of the game and i actually want to talk a little bit about the the, the battle system because this is i think in the xeno series the battle systems are point of contention people love them people hate them people find sure. problems with them um, but specifically Xenoblade Chronicles 1's battle system. Um, playing it again, you know, in 2020, how do you feel it holds up? Uh, do you have any problems with it? And maybe if you, uh, for the, uh, you know, playing, comparing it to Xenoblade Chronicles 2, uh, you know, which do you think maybe did it a little bit better? I think the rules in Xenoblade Chronicles 1 are well, well more way to find. Like, it feels like with Xenoblade Chronicles 2, you're thrown into the deep end and just see where you go. With um, one, you start with a couple of attacks, you build them over time, you know how to use the Monado's powers a whole lot more. In addition, every single character has a list of attacks that make them very unique and fun to use. Um, yeah, with that's two, important. you, you kind of leave it up to chance and have to hope that you also get the right blades to attach to your character. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. I think you pretty much hit on a lot of it right there, Don. I, I agree. Um, I actually really highly prefer Xenoblade 1's battle system over 2's. 2's to me just, it always felt to me like it had too many moving parts. And I get that there's more mm-hmm. depth in 2 than there is 1's, and I, I appreciate that. And for the people who love that and yeah. really love all those moving parts, I respect that. But mm-hmm. for me, it was just too much. And it felt like every enemy was such an HP sponge, even like your your basic mook enemies like i could fight a slug and it has like so many hp whereas in xenoblade one yeah enemies have a lot of hp but you can tear through them much faster especially if you know what you're doing and that's it's easier to know what you're doing because there are there's so much less to keep track of and it's still mm-hmm. quite there's qu- still quite deep there's some depth there oh, but yeah. as you said don i think for, from the outset the rules are more clearly defined each character's role is more clearly defined you understand the monado straight from, you know right from the outset yeah. It's just, it's, I think it's just more accessible and it's more direct and in your face. And I just, Xenoblade 2's battle system did not do it for me. I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I had a, I had a cousin who was here who played Xenoblade 1 for the first time and he was still struggling. 
But what the game does well, especially Definitive Edition, is give you hints if you're really struggling. So it doesn't feel like you're lost ever. Even in the instances where you don't know what's going on or you never played much of an RPG before, you still know what exactly what you're doing by the end of it. Yeah, and I also think it was a great, uh, really well-considered improvement to have uh, you know arts that are appropriate to use at that current moment be highlighted on your yep. arts list. So like when you're, when, you know, sometimes it's hard to know what an enemy's side or back actually is, especially the mech on. So yeah. it's great to have you know your side attacks like slit edge, what you know to have that little exclamation point pop up when it's time to, when it's a good time to use it. Same thing with break topple days. It can be right. really difficult to keep track of which moves do what in the heat of battle. So to have that highlighted for you, I think is a really great accessibility option. Mm-hmm. Not one well, option, it's just there, but I think it's, it was a great improvement. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And it also, it also helps that like the battle system, um, like upgrades are very simple. You know what you're getting. It's more basically more damage and what you're getting out of it is all the techs you keep using till the very end of the game. There's nothing that is really left behind. It just adds to it later down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, you nailed it about accessibility. There really there aren't that many systems to Xenoblade Chronicles. There there are quite a there are a few. Um, yeah. There is some depth there for people who really want to explore that. Versus, you know, going through uh, all your skill trees and the affinity charts, basically to link that stuff. Um, gems, uh, placing gems can be very important. Um, like w- doing the math behind stats, like that stuff is there for people who really want it. But you can get by in that game by just constantly, like, always equip what's the newest thing. Just like keep leveling up, like your your arts and stuff. And if, if you just keep following that. And along with the enhancements they made to Definitive Edition to highlight, oh, you maybe use this one as an exclamation mark. Maybe use that now. It's a better time. Or more carefully displaying, here is an enemy is inflicted by break. Use your topple ability yeah. now while the, in the window. Maybe didn't use follow-up with days. I, I think nothing really required in that game you to have a mastery of anything. You just needed to know the basics, and I think you could have a good time. And on top of that, the casual mode, if things really just got too difficult in terms of challenge – Casual mode just made it a pushover. So if you really just want to, because one of the things I really love about Simulator Chronicles, and when I was replaying it on stream, I was telling my my audience, I basically felt that you could strip the combat out of this game, and it's still a very compelling game. I don't usually like yeah, being yeah. more compelling, but just exploring those environments and maybe just doing fetch quest would still be pretty fun and enjoyable to do in that game mm-hmm. because they did such a great job with the world. So if the combat is just not for you, turn on casual mode and just, you know, bl- right. breeze through battles, like look at the beautiful effects and, <laughs> you know, these, these, you know, these large scale battles at some points against bosses, but it's just more part of the enjoyability of it. Right. Even yeah. in casual mode, you still need to do the moves, mm-hmm. which I think is a right. smart call. Like it doesn't completely guide you through it. Yeah. You still have to pull off some stuff on your own. Um, even with like the the quest lock stuff, which finally comes over from the newer Xenoblade games, yeah. it just helps you to enjoy quests a whole lot more, and you just keep going for a while. That's a huge thing I, that I've been telling uh, people when I talk about this game is like the single best improvement, in my opinion, other than the remastered soundtrack, which is amazing in its own right. But it's that quest tracker, man. Like <laughs> I hated. I hated mm-hmm. doing so many of the quests mm-hmm. in the original and coming back to Xenoblade, I was like, Oh man, you know, I really, I love this game and I'm really worried about doing all those quests again. They're actually fun to do now because you just yeah. know exactly where you need to go. You got those mm-hmm. wonderful little blue exclamation points telling you, Hey, go here, fight this monster. Yeah. So you have to grind a little bit sometimes to get what you need, 
but mm -hmm. at least you know where everything is. So you totally. don't have, it doesn't take much time. And so everything is so streamlined. And I've said this in, in different places, but one of my favorite things a game can ever do is to meet the player where they are and make it as convenient to play as possible. Don't waste my time. And I don't mean time as in terms of like, it's a waste of time to watch cutscenes. I don't mean that. No. Don't make me do busy work. Don't make, don't just make me wander aimlessly. Like make me want to, you know, make it as convenient as possible for me to play you and spend as little time doing busy work as I can. Yeah, and even, Xenoblade yeah. Definitive Edition is fantastic at that. Mm -hmm. Even within like the, what's it, the relationship status that you can see within the characters you know oh, yeah, exactly what items they can trade to you yeah um how to get to where you need to be it's just fun to do now which is the most mm -hmm. important thing yeah the quality of life improvements for definitive edition are just really good um I, I i do i mean i do believe it is a better experience than the original game in like in almost every yeah. regard uh, right before moving on to the, the you mentioned quests i want to get to the quest system in a second you touched upon the improvements there and that's definitely for the better the one uh, i have some small gripes about the battles maybe they're not small but there, there's some aspects of the battle system i think this is being really nitpicky perhaps but it also uh -huh. speaks to quality of life improvements that they could have maybe pushed a little bit further um, but also just fundamental changes that didn't happen because, you know, it would change the experience. Uh, we were talking a little bit about Xenoblade Chronicles 2's battle system. And I think the best thing it does over, I prefer one's battle system over two. Uh, I'm of yeah. that mindset. But the one thing I think two does better is it allows you more direct control over your other characters at any given time. Whereas in Xenoblade Chronicles right. 1, unless you initiate a chain attack um, or uh, basically chain attack. You, you, you cannot directly influence the actions of other characters. You can't tell them to do this. You can't tell them to heal. You can't do them like, oh, pull aggro, like do more aggro moves, something like that. It's strictly relegated to that. And it is something I hope uh, that was a little frustrating at points. It's and again, though, it's not, it's not a, it doesn't break the experience. It's something right. I think people who get a little familiar with the battle system will start to notice and be like, why can't I do this? Why? And especially plays, you know, play Chronicles 2, you'll be like, wow, I, I, I see why they did this. But you look back at one, it's like, that is a bit of a flaw in the system. You can't even really adjust like the AI behavior. There's like no real option for that. Right. You can do the D pad things to tell them, focus on this enemy. Yeah. And that's about it. But you can't say mm -hmm. like, so so and so always heal when it comes up and always heal this character like like other rpgs yeah. that have like the, the ai command so that was that was something i found a little uh you know replaying it again i was it stood out a little bit more as a little bit of a negative yeah well yeah. they also didn't uh they didn't fix the individual character ai either so if you want to use shulk or melia at all you have to play them you yep. cannot put Shul Shulk or Melia in your party and not auras. play as one yep. of them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and especially Shulk, he's not very good at using the proper Monado arts when he should be. So, yeah, if you're going to play Shulk or Melia, you have to have them in control. control. You know, yeah. yeah, direct control of them. So that, I do wish they had taken some time to, to adjust the individual character AI as well. But yeah. fortunately, I do enjoy playing Shulk. So that's not too much of an issue for me. But, uh, but yeah, certainly, you know, if you want to play like Dunban and have Shulk and somebody else in your party, you're kind of, your, your hands are kind of tied because the AI is just not going to get the job done. Yeah. The only place you would actually get control over all your characters is the special attacks and that's not enough. Yeah. Right. It's right. It's, it's not, yeah, it's not enough. Uh, yeah. As I was saying. So, but I mean, we'll, later on we'll be talking about future of the series and potentially Molotov, right. so there's maybe something we could talk about about speculate what they might do better. I don't want to get into that just yet, so we have plenty to still talk about the the, the game proper. Uh, the only other thing I want to say, uh, I mean, 
aggro has always been an issue with Xenoblade games. I mean, one day they might figure it out a little bit better. I, I feel like it's a little tough to to manage it in both games. I, I think it should be a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that might be a larger discussion, save for, for later. I, but it's still I still found it a little frustrating until I remembered how to properly... It was mostly gem management, giving the correct gems to people to make sure this character would shed hate faster and not build up hate or not build up hate faster. Whereas this other character wanted to be the tank would build up hate much faster. It just, I think it's a little too cumbersome. It should be a little bit more straightforward and not, uh, not a challenge. I mean, if they want to make it a challenge, I think the rule should have been a little bit more explicitly stated and and like and taught you how to better deal with it rather than what they present in the game i think it's just not enough in in especially in the first game i agree and i also one other very minor gripe but i i think they should have changed quick step from something that you have to equip to something you can just a passive buff that you can gain i don't know by finding a certain number of landmarks or something that has to do with how much you explore because every character's default running speed Oh, it's yeah. too slow. For mm-hmm. a game this huge, it's just too <laughs> slow. So I, I find myself, just out of sheer convenience, I waste gem slots on Quick Step 3 just to get that max 25% uh, increase <laughs> in movement speed because it's, I just, it's so slow. And I just don't want to deal yeah. with it. It's funny to me because I never used to speed up gem ever throughout my yeah. definitive edition. I didn't run. either. I, I, I knew what I it did, though, Ash. I just, I, I, just didn't, I just didn't use it because, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't bother. Plus, it's only good for the active character. So it's like, oh. And that's what sucks, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, and just real quick, this you just reminded me of something. I brought this up with, uh, with Ben Moore. We talked about this on Frame Trap. Uh, there, with gems and gear, Like, I, I, one of the things I do love is how you can have glamours now. You can customize your appearance regardless yeah. of what gear. But I, I wanted to save multiple layouts, basically, multiple setups. And I think oh, sure. the steps, uh, to, yeah. there's no way to save that. The steps to swapping out gems it, with more modern games where they just accept and know that's going to happen. They just prompt you for things like, you should just be prompted when you change out a piece of gear. Would you like to take over yeah. these gems instead of you, you, you have to initiate that. It's a whole thing about accessibility and being a little bit more friendly to newer users and just like making the user experience better. It's right. these sm- sorry, this is really nitpicky, but it's like these small things are where they could aim. No, if they want to improve things, yeah. they could go higher. It's totally yeah. understandable for all the improvements they made on a gem screen. It just feels weird that they left that to chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 also uh, the way you do your your inputs for your for your arts uh, they're mapped to buttons essentially whereas in Xenoblade Chronicles you have like the action bar where you have to cycle over each action you can rearrange it as best as you want to make the amount of inputs minimal but at some point you're gonna have to like tab over by two or hit the d-pad left two or potentially three times to get to the action you want to do Whereas in mm-hmm. two, it's just like one press, one press, one press. Uh, I, I do. Th- there, there are other games out there that have button configurations and layouts and just default templates. They're more conducive to games that have like action bars because Xenoblade is, uses actions on cooldowns. They have a lot of arts that you can use. I mean, I think Xenoblade Two pared it down by whichever blade you equip to your driver designated yes. the four you got. So it's like right. there was a limit, but Xenoblade Chronicles has way more than four. You can have, you, have, you can 
have a large amount. You can't have them all at one time. But I was like, you actually could have even had all of them equipped at once. I don't know if that would have destroyed the balance. Probably would have. But there are games out there that have presented really good solutions, even for controller, to 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 do like combination of like inputs, like holding a shoulder button and a face button at the same time. I understand this gets into the question of accessibility. Is this really as friendly to a newcomer or new player who's looking to dive into this massive JRPG. But I do think some refinements to Xenoblade Chronicles, Defend Edition's battle system, the, like the, the way you input your actions, even its own series has demonstrated there is a bit of refinement there that could be they could benefit from. So uh, I found that at times to be frustrating when I accidentally cycle and hit the wrong action because I hit D-pad too many times. Ah, shit, I didn't hit the, I hit the wrong button. Yeah. Damn it. Uh, gotta wait for it to come <laughs> back off cooldown now. Whoops, my bad. <laughs> yeah. And I guess this is like, this is something that's your, your mileage may vary. I personally find it to be part of the game's charm, but I know there are people out there who really don't like how chatty everybody is in battle and how all the lines kind of you know, uh, layer over one another. Everybody's screaming all their attack names, and yeah, I'm really feeling it. Yeah, she'll get stuck in all that good. I I love it. I, I yeah, find that to totally. be part of the game's charm. <laughs> but I know that for some people out there, that gets really annoying, and you you oftentimes hear some of the same lines over and over mm. again. Like the enemy's weak, but don't drop your guard. Like you know, I know that's that annoys some people personally. I just find it to be part of the game's charm. But they didn't adjust that at all. So oh. Yeah, I wonder if yeah. they're just like, no, this is this is like <laughs> everyone has to experience this. It's part of exactly the played experience. But yeah, and that is uh, that is part of what <laughs> makes the characters so endearing. It's like they they feel like not just like allies on the field of battle, but they feel like friends. They joke with each other when yeah. you know yeah, everybody kind point. of picks on Ricky and Rick, you know Ricky's doing his own thing, and they just kind of rib each other, and they feel like friends. And the battle banter goes a long way toward kind of that illusion, and it's great. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yeah. Um, though an option, turn it off, would have been, you know, nice for people <laughs> who don't like it. But sure. I understand. Yeah. Uh, but real quick, sorry, not real quick. Uh, we talked about Quest. Um, yes. Ash, you brought up the Quest tracker, and Don, you know, yes. like said, like you both were explaining how like you appreciated that that ability to track it. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk about like Quest in Xenoblade Chronicles, and maybe perhaps the amount of them, and. Uh, <laughs> Even with the new quest tracker, how do, how do you feel about the volume of quests and then like the quality of the quest in in, in the game? Um, yeah. Go ahead, Don. It's it's very busy work still. Not to yeah. say it's not fun busy work, but um, some quests are tied to the relationships you have with the characters in the game, and you need to level up the whole area to get new quests. Uh, you need to constantly keep track of like the bigger quest that you need to go to different areas to figure it out. At least they uh, fix that now with telling you it's this location you need to be for the next step. Um, but it's still a lot of work. Um, but in comparison to the original where everything felt like you have to look up a spreadsheet and find out what you need to do next, um, you're just guided to the right place at the right time. And it, it just keeps rolling for a number of hours. I have no problem questing in Definitive Edition now. It's just fun busy work yeah i, I that's kind of how i would characterize it too i don't think necessarily the quality of the quest themselves has improved i mean i would say probably a good 90 percent of the quests are forgettable busy work you know especially yeah. the monster hunt ones and the item gathering ones you know those are just all yeah. those it doesn't really matter why you're doing it you know the the reasons they give you for doing these things are 
wafer thin. Um, and, and I would say there's a good 10% of the quests that really are interesting with interesting NPCs and yes. you want to see how they're actually going to, to play out. But those are the huge minority. And so I do think the quality of the quest still isn't great. And I think there is a quantity versus quality issue there. But sure. at least with Definitive Edition, the quantity issue isn't really much of a problem because it's just more fun to do. Everything tracks, yeah. you know, you know exactly where you need to go, like I said. Um, yeah, so I, I don't... I guess the other thing, too, is that in, in the original Xenoblade or the original version of it, the quantity of quests was a problem because if you did too many of them, you would be so overleveled for the story battles that the rest of the game would become a cakewalk if you didn't want it to be. And I don't mind overleveling personally, but I do love that Monolith Soft kind of allowed for that with expert mode. So if you do mm -hmm. want to do all the quests and you get, you know, 20 levels above what you need to be in the story, you can turn that experience off and kind right. of adjust your you know, the, the, the difficulty on the fly. So I do think that they, while the quests themselves still aren't great mostly, uh, I do like that they kind of adjusted the parameters around them so that you can still look. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I think we lost you if for you a second, Ash. Sorry. Hard, or if you... Oh, I think oh, you no. cut out, Ash. The one thing I was going to say about quests is I, I do think one of the problems is how... A lot of cook, a lot of them are cookie cutter. Uh, yeah, you, they have a formulaic nature to them. It's uh, sure. You already pointed out that there were there's the go kill these monsters in the zone, go fetch these uh, items, the blue orbs in this zone. Um, I think the volume of them maybe got a little out of hand at points, but at the same time, totally. I'm I'm in favor of quests that encourage you to fully explore the zone because these, yes. these environments are really massive. And if you just stick to the crit path, you are going to miss a lot of the mm -hmm. hidden and extra stuff. Um, so I, I think they, basically I think they could definitely have cut down on the quantity uh, of sure. the, the, the quest and, and right. maybe bump the quality. Uh, those ones weren't too, uh, like those ones weren't as problematic for me as mm -hmm. the multiple, the quest lines that had multiple steps in them. Like you turn it into an NPC, they give you the next one. The ones of those that kept you in the same zone and never advanced you, it felt like to finish them, you either have to return back to the zone after the story had taken you past. It's like, no, I want to go forward. And the, the one I'm going to give the example of is the Nopon in Satoral Marsh in that cave up on yeah. like the climb up yeah. that everyone yeah. complains is really out of the way as well. There's like, like what, 10 steps to that. And by the time you're, you're like halfway through it, you feel like I'm ready for the next zone. I have no problem with those types of quest lines. They usually can be really good. And especially they're backed by a pretty uh, a compelling <laughs> story that adds more to like a side character or more to the world building or lore of the environment you're in. But at some point, enough is enough and they, if you want to keep the steps going just push it to the next area just like realize and be cognizant of you're overstaying yeah. your welcome in this zone maybe make up whatever story excuse you need to to move that npc to the next zone or have them visit some other part person in the other zone to continue it going that was that was like the only thing i wish they would have just focused on a little bit more Luckily, I, I basically overused the, the fast travel feature for all of those parts. <laughs> same, uh, same. But the, like I, the rest of the quests that mostly get, allow you to stay in one area, um, I just did them all in a row and just kept going to get all the experience and stuff that I needed from them. Same. 
But yeah, there is definitely a bit of a repetition issue there with some of them, like you were saying, the, the Nupon and, and Satoru Marsh. Uh, but one thing I do find, my, that I have two, I guess, criticisms of how the quests are still implemented in this game. Right. Uh, one is that I, I love that while you can check what you need to reconstruct Colony 6 at any time, there's no way to track them. So you still have to look up yeah. an FAQ and you know, be like, oh, a snow element. Where do I find that? And then oh, go find reverse, it. Like, like a reverse lookup. Like yeah, like I wish you could reverse, track. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. I wish you could. It, you could choose. Yeah. I want to do commerce level three. Let's track that, and then it'll, it'll help you track everything you need to get to build commerce level three. Stuff like that. For so sure. I do wish that was doable. I also just because there are so many specific requirements to unlock certain quests and. You don't ever you don't know what they are unless you're looking at a spreadsheet. I do wish there was a way for the game to just tell you, hey, you know, like if you're going on your location menu, maybe Kali Nine has an exclamation point to it saying, hey, there are quests here now again. They won't tell you exactly where they are until you go there, and then you find who you need to find to and talk to to get the quest. But I find myself going back to all the major hubs, yeah. changing the time of day over and over again, checking the map to see if there are any exclamation points. And I, yeah. so I do wish there was a way to know more easily, hey, there's a quest for you to come back to this old area and do again now. Totally. Yeah, that's something to be very appreciated. I, I think just in general, while they, they improved a bit about tracking things regarding quests, like just the quests yeah. themselves, uh, yeah, there really isn't a lot to especially the colony six uh, rebuilding stuff it's just a little unfortunate they don't have that in there also i mean while they do the vision stuff when you pick up an item it's like th that says that this item will be important later to a quest you haven't obtained yet i still yeah. wish with the, the all those materials you get to be able to highlight one and go what was this for again and like this if you select no. it be like you have an active quest this is for this yeah. quest you know just the, that inform that feedback loop that they kind of miss out on there that i think uh, more contemporary games do, especially uh, speaking yeah. from MMO experience. A lot of MMOs like strive for that because they understand how confusing all that tracking can be. That they they, they they I mean they have the benefit of years and years of like player right. feedback. So it, it I but I definitely understand that you know it's still not an excuse that like there's an example of a better way for doing it. You know it's, you still can right. do it this way. I think mm -hmm. what the problem my problem with the Colony Six rebuilding quest is that. Uh, you are forced to look up like entire information about a certain item, how you need to trade with them, how do you level up certain characters before you get them. It feels like this long string that it still isn't fun. And it's the only thing that inherently isn't really all that interesting to do, even if you get some benefits later down the line. Yeah. And it's too bad, too, because even though it's not necessarily fun to actually do because there's less tracking, there's it's less user-friendly, it feels good to when you actually do it. Like when totally. you build, when you, you know, improve Colony 6 and you build that new level of housing or whatever, you feel like you're getting something done. You, you, that, that progress feels great and that it's reflected in the visuals of Colony 6. Like you can see it actually rebuilt step by step. Yeah. It's very rewarding. But getting to those rewarding points for Colony 6 is, is not very fun still. No. Yeah. Again, yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I think just thinking about how other games handle like building a town, you know, like, like I think of Terrytown in Breath of the Wild, and yeah. how much more enjoyable that was for me compared to 
Colony Six, especially when I'm playing the Defender Edition, like, oh yes, I'm gonna rebuild Colony Six. I did, I, I I did it well after I beat the original game, but I want to do it sooner in this game. And just thinking about what are, what are the benefits I'm getting from this, other than personal satisfaction, it's just it seems a little bit tedious. The best way yeah. to put it, <laughs> the yeah. nicest way to put it, I feel like. And it's probably the thing that should have been like the most the biggest thing, the biggest of the side quests that should have had like this great payoff other than you see it rebuilt. And it kind of, I guess it kind of misses the mark on that, unfortunately. And as you said, having so much information having to be found outside of the game is problematic. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you both about, we're talking about quests, we're talking about the environments we're going through, through to explore this world. And I want to talk about the environments uh and the visuals i actually have a patron question here from alexander zirinoff uh saying hello panel when i played xenoblade chronicles definitive edition it took me almost 20 hours to get used to how bad this game looks i admit wow. that finishing the last mm. of us part two in doom eternal right before playing xenoblade probably raised my expectations too much but at the same time i played switch games that look much better than xenoblade chronicles so I do feel this wasn't the best possible version on this platform. In my opinion, the best part of Xenoblade Chronicles is its grand locations, and I think that underwhelming visuals hurt this game's, this game's aspect the most. Were you happy with how this game looks? And more generally, do you think it would be better if games were less forgi- uh, gamers were less forgiving for games' performances on Nintendo's hardware? Um, <clears throat> okay, well... I yeah. think I'm coming at this from entirely the opposite, uh, you know, side for you know, than you are, but I actually think the game looks pretty damn good. Like, mm. and, and now I'm someone though, of course, like I think the games like The Last of Us Part Two, FF Seven Remake, they look incredible, absolutely. But on the other hand, when I'm playing a good-looking Switch game like Smash Ultimate or Mario Kart Eight or Splatoon Two, whatever. I'm not sitting there thinking, man, I sure wish this looked better. Like for me, and maybe it's I'm betraying my age here, but when I see a game that looks as good as most high-end Switch games do, I'm perfectly happy. And yeah. yes, Xenoblade Definitive Edition has some resolution issues, some performance, you know, it's it's obviously 30 frames per second. Uh, I don't really see a lot of slowdown that I can think of. No. Um, I think performance is great, but you pay for that with slightly muddier visuals, some not-so-great textures. Yeah, that's true. At the same time, I think the game makes its locations look perfectly, you know, passable and more than passable. I've been saving tons of screenshots on my Switch as I yeah. play through the game just because it all the all the locations are so beautiful to look at. And like I know that back when I played Xenoblade on Wii and all that time we were waiting for a remake <clears throat> or for a remaster, I was like, man, I really wish they'd you know remastered Xenoblade in HD because these locations, these world designs, they really deserve that. And now that we have it it's exactly what I wanted. Could it always be better? Sure. But I'm not sitting here thinking, man, they really, you know, Xenoblade deserved better than what we got. Like, no, I think the game looks great personally. No, I agree. Um, especially when you go to evening, for example, in Saturn March or like yeah. um, the Rite of Plateaus, it really brings the feeling home that you're experiencing a world. And I understand that visuals are everything for some. It's not really for me. Same. Um and for me, it's more about the experience and getting through that experience and enjoying that experience. Um, like the wide open fields of Xenoblade and then the Vistas are still really impressive despite it being a 10-year-old game, um, especially with the, the 
polished up visuals, it might not be the best for some, but for me, it, it immediately sells the feeling of I'm on an adventure and I'm having a good time with it. Yeah. I mean, especially the, the, the time of day stuff where you can, I was, uh, when I was playing through Magna Forest, I happened to be crossing one of the giant bridges at sunset and I was just, I just panned the camera around like, man, this, the, the oh, scale yeah. for, for, especially for a 10 year old game, but the scale of these environments is just incredible. And I think this game is genuinely beautiful at times, like Aerith Sea, um, uh, Valak Mountain. I was just playing that, you know, not too long ago. And at night, I had the, my headphones on, and with the, uh, you know, the the light that goes up into the sky from each crystal. Yeah, it's just there's no other game with a world that looks like this. And I think that, yeah, maybe technically it's not the best looking game out there for sure, mm-hmm. from a technical perspective. But I think that what we got with these remastered visuals more than more than uh, respects what's in this game. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I still think the scale is unmatched in this game. Uh, the zones, the zones are so big. It, it, it gives the feeling of an MMO, but these giant MMO sized zones that are just, this is being, this is insane. And I think the only thing that beats this out is the seamless overworld, uh, sorry, seamless open world games, which this is not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a whole different category and a whole different beast. And this game, I, I, still th- I think it's unmatched. For a game trying to do what it's doing, I haven't seen a game do, do better than this in terms of scale for like individuals, like environments yeah. like this. And yes, right. the, as you said, this is dated. This is a dated <clears throat> game. Even though it's a definitive edition, it, it's not It's not like Blue Point Games came in and is doing like a Shadow of the Colossus treatment or yeah. Demon yeah. Souls treatment on this game. I wish, I really wish Blue Point Games would like could have worked alongside Molosoft to re redo this, you know, the visuals of this game. But you know that didn't happen. And I still think to consider that this came out ten years ago on the Wii, that the Wii hardware was able to do this. When you think about all the other games that came out on Wii, sure there were better mm-hmm. looking games even on the Wii, but none of them could like touch the sense of scale. And I think it's yeah. so essential to this game because so much yeah. of the game is about ex- exploration, as you said, Don, a sense of adventure. And it's like immediately apparent in Colony 9 and surrounding areas. Just the, like, wow, I can, there's all this stuff tucked away over here. Wow, this, I am on a, this environment is part of this giant living creature. And then the other side yeah. is a giant mechanical creature. And it's like, these these environments are bet, embedded in here. And if you look carefully, you can see, oh, down, I'm up high here. Down there is these other zones. It's, it's just yeah. there's nothing else like it, I, I think. And so, yes, yeah. as Ash said, on a technical level, sure, it's not impressive. I just finished, not finished, I'm playing through Ghost of Tsushima, an open world game. On a technical level, blow, obviously, it blows away this game on, on so totally. many levels. But at the same time, there's the uniqueness of the environments in Xenoblade Chronicles smashes anything I've seen in Ghost of Tsushima. So Yeah, plus yeah. I like the, the balance that Xenoblade strikes between having these huge wide open environments that you want to explore kind of like an mmo without a actually being an mmo and b without being an open world game like i'm not the biggest fan of open world games there's some that i've enjoyed like breath of the wild uh horizon zero dawn but in general i'm i'm pretty sick of open worlds and so i like the 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 balance that xenoblade strikes of having this huge world to explore but that there are boundaries and that there is one exit point sometimes multiple exit points but it's still a wide linear approach you're still going from point A to point B, but there's just so much to explore in between that. And I really like that balance. And I just, I don't need every game to be open world. I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of that myself. So I really like having mm. that balance of a huge world to explore, 
but that I know there's still only one way to go forward and one way to go back, ultimately. Yeah. And to me, like nothing beats like walking off the Gower plane in the evening, all the enemies surrounding you, especially the high-leveled ones, and just listening to the music for like Ugh. 10 minutes at a time. Yeah. That, exactly. The, the, this is derived from MMOs, having zones with multiple-level enemies, sometimes extremely high-level enemies. That's part of the sense of adventure, is in every zone. Oh, totally. Even when you're going off into this corner, up this ramp, up this hill, up this mountain, you might encounter super high level enemies like wait am i supposed to be here like that that yeah. that's the, that and the challenge of just navigating i love that i love that mm -hmm. there is a sense of threat in in in, the, in, in your exploration it's, it's it's not a given oh so many especially in nintendo game it's like there you're allowed to just wander around in like a mario game you know it's an obstacle course here's some fun things there there are some barriers which require a little bit of skill or challenge but in general you're not pushed back there isn't like a serious threat or whoa, I can't handle this. and But I still really want to see what's behind this. Uh, <laughs> let's try sneaking by. That That's like MMO 101 right there in environment design. And yeah. they like nailed that. And everything else I do so well in this game to foster exploration and and, and traversal, I, I just think even like the, the platforming, not the best platforming, but it still has platforming in this game. Right. Um, there's, yeah, there, uh, you, you said running across our planes. There's so many moments in each of the zones that stand out for me. And I, I mean, I wouldn't trade them for anything else. It's just like this, this game provided stuff I couldn't get anywhere else. I mean, I, I, the other day, I, I can't, well, like I said, a few weeks ago, I captured a video while playing Xenoblade of that, of, of what I think is maybe one of, maybe the meanest thing any game has ever done, or one of the meanest things, and it's in uh, the Bionis' <laughs> leg, when you uh, just happen to discover those ruins and you go up to pick up that red item mm -hmm. at, the, at the edge of the cliff, uh -huh. suddenly mm -hmm. giant spider just climbs yep. over and just starts chasing you. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that playing it, playing it on Wii, it freaked me out. And I, I remembered it, of course, playing Definitive Edition, but it still gave me goosebumps because I'm a total arachnophobe. I'm terrified of spiders. And this Fair game enough. messes with you if, if you are that kind mm -hmm. of person because you sometimes yeah. have to go through areas that are just crawling with them and I uh, but that's the thing is that you it, it feels exciting to to explore yeah. especially in places where maybe you don't really like the designs of the monsters because they creep you out but and but uh, I guess running counter to that though is the fact that yeah there are these threats and yeah you can you know go explore wherever you want but you want to do it because the game isn't punitive there's no penalty for dying and I love that yes. about this game the yeah. game wants you to explore it and play it as much as you can. So, hey, go try to sneak past that level 90 monster. If you die, who cares? You know, it's, and I love that about this game. So important they made that decision. Because, yeah. as you said, you know, there's like no, yeah, there's no, there's no real risk to that part of it. it yeah. You don't, you're not set back. Oh, I'm going back to the beginning of the zone. As long as you activated like a way mark or something in the, the, one of right. the teleport spots. But still, everything is fair everything is you explore this part okay you died here well you're just gonna put you right back here it, it, it's okay right. you know and i, I think yeah it would be too hair ripping frustrating i understand there are games that are designed around no if you die here you're going back you know there's yeah. a certain place for that it's not here it's not here and I, I love how the game maintains that sense of risk and and you know you you feel like you're in danger and you're like oh man should i go here but you still can, and you don't lose anything if you die, but you still get that sense of danger. And I really, the, the way the rush. game is able to maintain that yeah. balance, even though there's no penalty for dying, is really impressive. 
I know both of you probably have a lot of positive things to say about perhaps maybe the most impressive part about Xenoblade Chronicles um, on a personal level. This is something that has uh, never been done justice by the several the outlets I've worked for in the past. Uh, I feel it has been robbed um, of uh, some of the accolades it should be getting for this category. That is Xenoblade Chronicles soundtrack. Hell and yes. And yes. Uh, I now give you, I open the floor for you to gush about <laughs> hearing the remastered soundtrack. And I, mean, I think you already said, Ash, you thought they did a fantastic job with it, but. I mean, I mean, look, you've got, you've got Ace Plus, you've got Yoko Shimomura, you've got Yasunori Mitsuda, Maname Hiyota. How can you go wrong with, you know, <laughs> this lineup of, of composers? You, it, it would be impossible to go wrong. And uh, I mean, not only is the soundtrack fantastic and, you know, the, the remastered soundtrack especially is so good. What I love about this, and I love when other games do this too, is that you can switch back and forth between the remaster and the original at any time to compare the two. And I actually, that's, I think that's super important. And I think it's really cool to go through each area and switch back and forth and really, you know, uh, take in the differences in instrumentation and, and how they... You know, totally. how that affects the feel of the area you're in. And I think that, I just think that's so cool. And not only can you do that, you can do that in the field and battle themes. You can set that independently of one another. So that's really cool too. And so not only is it important that, that the remastered soundtrack is as fantastic as it is, I think it's great in a historical sense that you can go back and compare and contrast whenever you want. And I, I just love that they included that. That was something we also saw recently in the Trials of Mana remake, which I really liked it there mm. too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, but yeah, I mean, the first time you you open out onto the Bionis' leg, right, in Gower Plain, and you hear that that iconic Xenoblade song, it's just such a rush. You feel like, man, I am on a, this is an adventure. I'm about to go on an adventure with a capital A, and mm -hmm. it's just, it's great. I think the added bongos to the new versions of Gower Plains also really add right. to it. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you know, the first time anybody uh, discovers Satoru Marsh at night and that song. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm. Valak Mountain, Colony 6. I mean, there's so... I guess th there are some weaker elements, too, like the interior areas, like uh, like the Ether Mine, Tefra Cave. Yeah, not, that's not really all that, uh, you know, memorable, I think but the, I think the vast the, majority. Yeah. I think the other one that really stood out to me, changes-wise, wasn't the Nippon Village one. Frontier Village oh, is such yes. a... Has it's so many so major differences in the instrumentation, and it works yeah. so well. Yeah, so was, well. I, I thought it was a definite improvement. I really enjoyed that. Um, I was also happy with uh, Makana's Field. Um, mm -hmm. It's always it's a very simple yeah. track, but it always felt very effective to me with how the sweeping sense of adventure and the the atmosphere that's crafted by the tracks, both the day and night tracks on the Bionis, to have like this brooding nature but like uh, I, I thought there's gonna be this brooding nature of the tracks illustrating what we're experiencing over McConus but when you get right. to buy this field and like that like the just the start up to that how slow and hearing these like you know kind of like this like synth stuff at first and then it just when it kicks in when, when, when it's in full swing I, I just I don't know. It just felt so right hearing that, and totally. especially the improved visuals now uh, inside the, the Mechonis, mm -hmm. like the gears, mm -hmm. and uh, it was. I thought it would be really easy for them to fall into the trap of it would look kind of bland and dull 
uh, trying mm. to redo. Like mechanical things are really hard to do very well in terms of making them look interesting, uh, especially like long giant environments with corridors. It's like mm, it's always a, that's always a challenge, but they somehow managed to do a pretty good job with that. And I think the music, not all of the music over Maconis is my favorite, but that track in particular, I still think they nailed it. Knocked it out of the park. I, I won't talk about it too much and not say specifics about it, but I think the factory was also really well updated. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think another huge uh, upgrade for me was Galahad Fortress. It was always a good song, oh, but yeah. but the remastered version really kind of uh, kind of drives home that sense of drama and what's at stake and what you're about to find out. You know, you're going to get seven i will refer to them as you're you know you're you're pursuing seven and you know you know things are about to go down and uh i really love the the improvements to that track and um yeah and it's just yeah the soundtrack really is one of the all-time greats and uh i just you know i we we, we could do a whole episode of friend code just about the soundtrack so it's, it yes. is that good i mean the soundtrack is almost like its own character because even and i agree with what you guys are saying i'm not as into some of the mechanist tracks as much i do love though how appropriate they are like i'm not a big fan of the battle theme the, like the the regular battle theme from mechanist so i'm not a big metal guy but it works for that part of the game it should be like that it's it's mm-hmm. appropriate and so i i like that the soundtrack is willing to take those risks and go into genres that may not please everybody but uh, but they do so in service of the game and its storytelling and i think it's just great excellent speaking of going into different genres with the music um i i don't know if you've actually been able to hear because you uh, we talked a lot about Zimbabwe chronicles definitive edition one thing they did include extra as free uh, edition was the extra story mode future connected right um and speaking about music real quick ash because i know uh you said you haven't really had a chance to dive into future connected yet Um, no because i wanted to replay the the game first and then properly makes sense yeah Yeah. makes Makes sense sense. that's exactly what i did as well i'm curious though if you've if you've gone ahead and listened to the battle theme from future connected yet or not I have not. I, I I try to. I'm like I'm so hardcore about music and games that I like to experience the soundtrack as I play through for the first time if I can. Savor the moments. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of savor that. So I have not. I am mm. very curious. I I wait that tweet, Ash. Okay. I've heard good things. It okay. Because I want to see your reaction or get a vibe. About how you is it is it kind it. of Torna esque? Like is it the kind of thing where you wouldn't expect um. it? Okay. I mean, it's it's not exactly Torna-esque. It's more so okay in line this... what regular Xenoblade Chronicles is, but very majestic for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Can I give you like a another game where I think it's similar vibes? Sure. Sure. I mean, I got heavy Persona vibes. Oh, I like theme. I like yeah. the sound very of that. Jazzy, so very jazzy. Oh well, sign me up then. I love Persona. I love jazz. This sounds great already. But Future Connected, uh, uh, so uh, you, you've completed this, Dawn, right? Yes. Yeah, as we were talking about earlier. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it totally. is it is a, it is a uh, an extra story. It almost feels more like a, a side story versus something that's meant to be more profound. Uh, yeah. The title might imply that some people might believe it has something to do with like connecting the game to future installments. Um, it's, it's not it's really definitely not Torna. It's no, definitely not Torna. <laughs> it's definitely a game that's more about fleshing out Melia's character and giving her more character development. And I feel like it's more about the survival. Like, 
it's it takes place on Bionis' shoulder. Let's get that out of the way. This is a zone yeah. that didn't make it into the final game. We finally yes. get to play in this brand new zone uh, that is completed. So that that's one of the awesome highlights is getting to see Super a brand cool. new zone. Um, I think it might. I don't. I don't. Can't compare geography in terms of like actual like size, but it felt like it was competing for maybe being the largest single zone uh, in terms of like. I mean size. But I mean, some of those OG zones are really massive, so I'm not entirely sure. Uh, yeah, because it felt, it, it felt more, more compact. Yeah. It felt more compact. So that's the thing. It felt like it was an amalgamation of Gower Plains, Air of the Sea, Machna. Like there's like the the like the tree areas of like Machna like forest and stuff. Sure. They were taking parts of different areas and throwing them into one. And though it mostly felt like a plains environment or like Gower Plains, like it felt most similar to that for the most part however i felt the villages i was really impressed by like the 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 the, the, the ruins slash uh towns that they presented um, oh yeah it felt like i hadn't seen stuff like that uh like grandel i really liked grandel uh, it was very ghibli-esque to put it uh it felt like something out of a ghibli film i was like this is speaking to me i really like this and i kind of i kind of appreciated that um, but I'm kind of curious how you felt. Yeah, how you felt about like the this like the like Bionis shoulder. I think that's the number one question besides the story. People would probably ask like, yeah, is it cool? Is it, how's the size? You know, what, 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 did you feel the same sense of exploration as the mm. other zones in the OG game? It's an equal size to some of the landmasses, if not a little shorter. They try to densely pack it more with different environments. So you have this very misty environment that uh, leads up to some ruins. Uh, you have some caves. Um, you have two towns which add as like plot points throughout the, throughout the story mode in Future Connected. Um, outside of that, it's just a combination of things. Like it has some huge seas and rivers, um, some more open areas for not as big um, they want you. They certainly guide you to a certain path, and most of the environments you can actually explore before you do almost any story stuff. Like you can, you can go for any cool. single part, and you can also then fast travel to do the story bits quickly after. Um, but it, it's it's snappier and more confined, and it has its specific set of rules. I don't think I appreciate the rules as much as say mm -hmm. a Torna. Uh, Torna was a whole lot bigger. It did use an area or two from Cinebite Chronicles 2, but it added to it to add like this whole different landmass, which makes it a whole lot sizable and interesting. Here they try to put as many different elements in one place together, and it worked for the most part, don't get me wrong. It, it looks nice, um, but it's... I feel the sense of death sometimes. I, I think I agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't as impressed with the Bionis shoulder as I thought I would be. Interesting. Um, it was probably a, a, in the grand scheme of the the Xenoblade Chronicles One's environments, it was middling. At, I think at best, it, it wasn't too stand out for me. Um, but it's also like kind of it was trying to be in the same vibe, and I don't think it was trying to go for anything too drastically unique. Sure. Um, and I think it, within their own rules, as you were saying, they were trying to do accomplish a lot in a little in like a smaller compact space than because again they they, they talked a lot like uh, the development team talked about how this was a free add-on uh, yeah. it's, it's meant to be 10 to 12 hours roughly and if they if you wanted something more like torna it would have had to been a separate paid 
uh, DLC. And as you said, Torna, I think the biggest difference, I didn't play Torna. Torna is my blind spot in the series, mm-hmm. along with not finishing X. Um, and from what I understand of Torna, the side quest stuff is required. Or like you, yes, like you that's have what to I understand to, it's, too. It's forced upon you. Where in this, you can just crit path. You can ignore the side quest if you want and just follow the main story. Um, mm. And if you do that, it's not that long of an experience, I, I, I think. And I, I will say this though, and not go into spoiler specifics. Oh, yeah. I feel that the quests in Torna felt more guided towards the ending than anything in future connected, because you actually were building up a community in Torna. Um, like the town of Torna, the kingdom of Torna, were basically your pupils and you have to guide them through quests or help them with a certain thing. And it, it ended immediately afterwards. Like you try to get a connection with most of the people in the town and it was really well written dialogue. And then it was all taken away from you in like an instant. Um, with Future Connected, it feels like it's going at the same pace. Like okay. there is not really a big app and flow in there. All right. I mean, see that that I, this is how I know I have Zinnelbane on the mind because when you said same pace, I immediately heard Dunban. <laughs> see, he said something about we go at the same, same pace, pace in battle, and I just immediately heard Dunban. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Damiani. No, 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 it's, it's perfect. No, it's perfectly fine. I I'm really curious. Oh, I want to know your thoughts on this, Don. And at some point, Ash, I'd like to talk to you, like on the side about your thoughts on future connected and what I'm about to talk about. We're talking about rules and systems here. I think. I think they missed the mark with some of the fundamentals of Future Connected uh, in terms of like yes. the difficulty in the combat system holdovers from the main game. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the key mechanics from the original game is Shulk's visions when he once he gets the Monado. It is a crucial mechanic that allows you to react to enemy talent arts. Uh, you at least know something's coming and you have the ability yeah. to do something about it, whether it's what the game intends or doing something more creative to, to work around it. That does not exist in this game, but enemies still do this. And the exa- and I think there's two, It's a, there's a multiple, it's like almost like a three-pronged problem here. First, the first game's hour, roughly hour, is incredibly brutal compared to any part of Xenoblade Chronicles. Interesting, yeah. Until you get some levels on you, you are severely at a disadvantage in this game. And this despite you starting at level 60 and having most abilities with five slots filled. Yeah, you have those, wow. those things. What the, because what they take away from you is you're penalized in terms of your gear. You have gear with no gem slots. And they, yeah. and, they, and, they, and they change the gem system. So you don't craft gems anymore. You just harvest them from the mineral deposits. Uh, so you That's can't correct. control necessarily what you're getting. Once you mine from a spot, you know which ones are there, but you mm-hmm. can't just like have the raw materials. Like I want to craft this. I have enough materials. I can craft this. And gems to me uh, for, for a game that when it's trying to be a little bit more challenging are important to dealing with the challenge. Uh, if you're going for a more challenging experience, with Chronicles, I think you need totally. to be on point with your gem game in terms of your builds. So you're, I feel like you're disadvantaged with the gear and the gems. You're, despite having a lot of stuff unlocked, uh, you, you are at a disadvantage, even against like remedial enemies. So the first hour, I think, is a little bit brutal. Um, they do include casual, so you can just turn anything on casual. But I think the problem is the difficulty spike between normal on some things and casual, the, the gap between that is so wide compared to anything in the main game. For example, mm. there is a super boss, or not, it's not even a super boss, the one in the necropolis, the, the dragon yes. thing you fight in the necropolis. On normal, 
uh that thing uh i, I was a i was at like level 79 or level 80 fighting that uh i got close to beating out normal twice and i was like ah this will take a few more attempts but like i'm running out of time before we're recording so i was playing like yesterday actually <laughs> i turned it on casual it died within a minute I was like, this, that's no, yeah. there's too much wow. of a gap here. There would be yeah. bosses that I was dominating them. And then because I couldn't see enemy talent arts, I got one shot at full health. I'm like, wait a sec, what? I was like, wait, no, the game did not inform. I, I, how am I supposed to know this without failing? I was like, this is not fair to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are like, dude, you just missed stuff. To me, it was happening s- enough that I felt it was unfair and poorly balanced and it was really right. agitating me at key moments in the game i think the only way it gets more balanced is when you start collecting the nippon specters mm-hmm. which are the, the various nippon characters that are spread across the landmass. Uh, because when you collect all of them from a team they grant you a special attack there are no like regular combos in this game you have to rely on those to do maze, massive damage and inflict certain status effects um and it, it works, but it takes a while to get there. Ash. Yeah, and, and I guess I haven't, uh, I haven't played Future Connected, of course, but what I'm getting from this, too, and I guess it would be very difficult for them to balance against this, but I can also imagine that considering this is supposed to take place after the main game, the fact that you do feel so outmatched and the fact that you do feel like you're having difficulty even with remedial enemies kind of breaks the illusion that this is Shulk and Melia after they have compl- you know, finished the journey in in the main game you know you you would want that you would think they'd be incredibly powerful and i guess it sounds as though that illusions kind of shattered even though they are level 60 when you start yeah i don't want to spoil anything they do present an opportunity to have introduced they they introduced a type of enemy that could have been introduced maybe sooner that could have for lore reasons made more sense while they're struggling so much against like right. the basic oh, okay. of enemies that doesn't come into play till later and I don't, I don't really need to get it and, and even then they don't really do anything that special but gotcha. uh, part of, like the, the 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 so chain attacks the the party attacks the blue meter ash it's mm-hmm. inaccessible to you it does nothing except being used as a revive meter until no. you get these no no pawn prospectors as part of your party you need the uh, uh, the different types there's a uh, one to do debuffs one to do health and want to do offensive attacks and you can choose which one of those you want to use at a time. Sometimes you get lucky and you can use multiple, but that replaces the chain attack system. It does not yeah, exist. It sounds a lot in less game. interesting. And, and then also, also and, and to make it worse, there are 12 uh, Nippon now currently always walking behind you when you collect them all. You can turn that That's off, weird. but it's, uh, frame rate issues do happen when you're in oh, a man. battle with all what those characters on screen. But uh, they, they introduced two new characters that are essentially... Uh, for all intents and purposes, in terms of functionality, are a Ryan clone and a Sharla clone, but they are not Ryan and Sharla. Um, Kino and Nene. But you do, yeah, mm. Kino and Nene, and but you do not have access to your your cast. So if you are favoring certain yeah. characters, it's basically meant for you to play as Melia, Shulk, and one of the other No Pawns, or at least like Melia involved somehow. I mean, you can play. There's only four characters to pick from, whereas yeah. you had a larger roster with diverse styles. So. It, if you were used to a certain trio of characters and that was your bread and butter, this game, A, forces you to go outside that comfort zone, which might be a good thing for some people, mm-hmm. but it also limits your options. So it's very right. limited, I think, is part of the problem. And I understand this isn't paid DLC, this is free. So in the grand scheme, while a lot of things about Future Connected disappointed me, 
uh, I still think it's pretty decent for being this free add-on. It it offers yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. there's some po- very positive things to this. Without this like without spoiling the story too much, I do think it uh, touches on, upon the futures of Shulk and Melian in a profound way, especially by the end of it. And there are even some quiet moments which, um, which replaces the heart to heart moments where oh, they read. So where they really mm-hmm. talk about what their futures are going to look like after this adventure. And it's super interesting. And I think that's the best part about this whole thing. I cool. love Nene and Kino. These, these, they're they're, 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 they're no fun children. Uh, I'll save whose children they might be. Um, but their personalities are great. And as you said, the, the, the quiet time, whatever they're called, they have quiet in them. Quiet moments. Quiet moments, but they're fully voiced. Which yeah. makes them infinitely mm-hmm. better than the hard part moments that are just text That's only. Better. So I really appreciate it. Also, as a as a, 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 a voice connoisseur, Ash, uh, Melia, they got Melia's original voice actor right. back, but yeah. the game's only one year after the original, but she has aged 10 years. So of course, first, you, they do a recap where you're hearing her voice from the end of Xenoblade Chronicles 1 in the old voice style and then you can oh, okay. get her new voice work and it's like oh jenna coleman yeah yeah, yeah. well it's, like, it's kind of what you got when uh when shulk was revealed for smash 4 like his voice clips obviously was adam howden but you could tell that he sounded different he didn't quite slip back into totally. the old shulk uh you know like like he was in xenoblade 1 well, you, you will kind of hear that in future connected as well to be fair oh, interesting you okay you do you do hear it uh, but Melido grew on me. It was, after okay. like the first hour, I was like, eh, it, "It's, I, I accept this." You know, maybe story wise, I could have said like it was five years after. I mean, the, the amount of time after sure. doesn't truly. Affect I, I'll, I'll say this though, once again, without saying too much, I think the payoff of Future Connected feels like a bummer. Oh That's what yeah, I've heard. I've heard that. I yeah. mean, if you're looking for some grand connection to things, that's not what the title implies. This is a more mm-hmm. personal story. This is, yeah. this is a very character-driven story, and it's not meant to have grand revelations. So I think that helps. The more people who know about that, maybe they put their expectations, they check their expectations a little bit better. So they might have a more enjoyable time with Future Connected. And since Ash is think, one of those people, yeah. Yeah. Do you think, about based on what, you know, of course, without going into spoilers, based on how the, the story pans out in Future Connected, do you think that they could possibly be building up to maybe Monolith Sauce Next Project being Xenoblade Chronicles 1-2? Like, no. do you think there might be a... No, okay. No, it feels pretty conclusive, to be honest. Okay. Well, yeah. there might be one ask. I think there's there's one thing that's completely left unexplained about Future Connected. Yeah, but that's that's more them leaving it out of the cutscene than actually doing it. <laughs> mm. I will I will say, though, yeah, there's not. I, I don't think it, it, it's going to be uses a stepping stone to anything for the future no. but at the same time this this is a good segue into the future of xenoblade chronicles and Molosoft, the, the last portion of our episode um starting with like what we'd want from the next installment of a potential xenoblade chronicles entry playing definitive edition again in future connected just made me yearn for i want i want another story of these characters i love these characters i want yeah, okay. i would absolutely be thrilled with another game starring these characters mm-hmm. same um i think for me i mean I, i'm i'm definitely biased to a point i said earlier i'm not really into open world games as much i didn't play xenoblade chronicles x to be fair i didn't play it but i also just didn't really want to nothing i That's saw fair. about it other than the mechs which are really cool 
Yeah. I just, nothing about it when I saw of it, the story, I just didn't really want to. I'm not into open world stuff as much. Um, I heard that as interesting as the story in X gets, it still does take a backseat to something like Xenoblade Chronicles 1 or 2, yeah. where it's a story yeah. with bespoke characters and a, yeah, like, a, like an actual narrative. And so, you know, I don't want to disparage all the Xenoblade Chronicles X fans out there. I'm sure it's an awesome game. But personally, in terms of what I want to see, I would like to see another, you know, traditional JRPG styles in a blade like one and two where it is a specific <laughs> cast of characters not necessarily open world you know with a with a you know a beginning middle and narrative and yeah I just think that's kind of what I personally would prefer whether it's this cast of characters which would be great or not but I do think there are you know for all the things I didn't like about Xenoblade 2 compared to one I did appreciate that it was another traditional style story where, you know, it had an interesting build up to what, you know, was going to happen in the end and it was an open world. And that's what I would like to see again. But I also understand that it's maybe the X series, if they do that, it's their turn. It's the X fans' turn to get something they want, like Xenoblade Chronicles X2, if they're I would, alternating. Yeah. So, I would love you know. something that's similar compact to Torna because Torna mm -hmm. straight up is from moment to moment my favorite Xenoblade game. Like yeah. it starts off like, 100 uh, miles an hour and just goes 200 by the end um, but especially the opening and the build of the characters in the battle system where you actually constantly switch between blade and uh, driver but in a very natural way without actually compl complicating things it, it's such a neat idea for a smaller compact game in such a vast world uh, because it does tie into what to try to accomplish into the greater world of Xenoblade. And I'm hoping that they, if they bring back like old characters, they give them a new story and like a compact story to tell. And that's what I'm kind of hoping for. Maybe not as big. I love big games, don't get me wrong. I think X is actually really good. Um, and I really appreciate one and Torna. Um, but I, th I think something more compact and to the point that feels like it has a strong beginning and a strong end is what I'm kind of searching for with Monolith Soft. Mm -hmm. Would you would you be open to a game that maybe brings in both the character sets of characters from one and two and had like a way of like have them have simultaneous stories going on or something like that as long as they I mean or, or without, do you or would you like mm -hmm. would you prefer Something new Without and original, into, I guess. Yeah. Without going into spoilers, um, they yeah. did try to connect the two games to each other. And I don't think you can do that any further. So I would mm -hmm. rather be searching for a side story in those same worlds. Okay. I, 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 that sounds, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I, you know, as much as I love, especially Xenoblade 1's cast of characters, if you're going to do like a Persona Q style, like bringing everyone together type thing, I wouldn't want it to feel you know, ham-fisted. I, I wouldn't want it to feel like unnatural. Yeah. Like I would want it to feel like there's a reason these characters have been brought together other than just, yeah, crossover party, you know, like hmm. I would want it to feel natural. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Again, I don't want to like, I mean, it's assumption here and I don't want to yeah. like spoil anything specific either, but I, 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 I do love the cast, the first game the most, but at the same time, yeah. I, I still think there is an opportunity for them to make a new cast. Uh, just because mm -hmm. I didn't like two's cast as much as one doesn't mean that they try again. They couldn't make a cast that I love as much or perhaps even more than one's cast. And I, I, I think 
there's a lot of creativity at Monolith Soft, and I, I think it extends beyond just their talent, their technical talents and making massive games. And uh, I think it extends to storytelling. I think it extends to combat. I think it extends to all facets. And I, I really think they should just be, they shouldn't be hindered by anything. And if that means not so, being beholden to past lore, and they, they wanted to call it Zoomblade Chronicles a name because of like, it has similar thematic things, but it's not connected in that way. I'm all for that. I, I don't think that should be a requisite. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm for that too. In terms of just in, uh, okay, good. Uh, just in general, I hope that whatever they do next, if they are going to make another, you know, standalone game like Xenoblade Chronicles one or two, mostly standalone, I hope that they they take more of their design ethos from one more than two. And I don't mean to keep like just dunking on two, but one of the things I just really didn't like about two was that it felt more just like any any typical JRPG and in, in, in its thematics sure. and its imagery. You know, I love anime, all about anime. But Xenoblade 2 felt very typical anime, so beefcakey. And I mean, there's a place and a time for that, fine. But like, you know, with the slow pans over uh, over Pyra and Mithras' chest and the ridiculous mm. angles, yeah. and uh, and really just mm. Pyra and Mithras' design some in of, general, yeah. and I, some of the I, I blades. Huh? I will tell you this: Torna makes made me actually like Mithra more. Okay, fair enough. And I mean, and there's nothing wrong with with you know characters who are designed to be you know just sexual. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I yeah. liked about Xenoblade One was that its its character designs were so unique. Its tone was so unique. It wasn't straight anime. It was anime, yeah, but not sure. not in a not in the way that most people come to think of when yeah. they hear anime. And it's you know like the 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 female characters in Xenoblade One, yeah, they're attractive, but they're not overtly sexualized to the point where it's ridiculous you know and that's kind of what i want to see from another xenoblade game i think definitely agree with that i feel like the only character like maybe charla's outfits it was was a struggle to find a uh, uh, (laughs) an outfit that like i was like this is what you go in combat with but you know, so be it. I'll, I'll take that over like some of the stuff. Right. To... Like Xenoblade 1, e- like even with Sharla, like, you know, Xenoblade 1 is, is a game, yeah. like my wife's really enjoying the story and like I'm playing it alongside her, you know, she'll watch and hear what's going on. She follows it. <laughs> and I like playing it, you know, with her. Xenoblade mm-hmm. 2 is not something I would ever feel comfortable or I, I, I would be embarrassed to play that in front of her because, and not even just because of Pyro or whatever, but Tora. Good God, Tora. Like, Everything Tora. Tora, Tora that was actually, is straight up yeah. the worst aspect of the, the entire worst. game. And that was one of my favorite things to rediscover uh, playing Definitive Edition. Tora made me hate the Nopon so much that I'd forgotten how much I used to really like them with yeah. Ricky. And so it was really nice replaying Definitive or Xenoblade 1 with Definitive Edition and be like, hey, actually, no, the Nopon are great. It's really just Tora who sucks. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I have some questions about potential stuff in Xenoblade Chronicles 3 I'd like to get your input on. Sure. Um, these are things right. I thought of, and I'm just want to see if you'd be interested in potentially seeing these. Uh, first of okay. all, how would you feel about seeing? Because X had these. Would you like to see mechs, uh, playable mechs in Xenoblade Chronicles Three, or at least some kind of form of mount or vehicle transportation? I absolutely. One of the things I mentioned earlier was, you know, one of my criticisms is that I always want to use those quick step gems because the movement default movement speed is too slow. Yeah. I would love if there was a some sort of vehicle or even a, a mech or a gear, whatever you want to call them, that you could <laughs> jump into just to traverse large fields faster. Absolutely. Totally. Um, would, uh, in terms of the mech, 
would you would you be uh, opposed to it being part of the combat system potentially? Yes, but don't make it okay. as long as a struggle to actually unlock it in like in Xenoblade Chronicles X. I heard it takes a while to get those things. <laughs> you and... actually have to get your license to drive it. <laughs> hey, uh, make sure you're certified. I heard about Otherwise, that. just don't you know. <laughs> Who knows what kind of chaos and damage you could cause if you're not certified for that? Right. Uh, my uh, my roommate was playing through that, and I was like, "How long did it take you to get those?" Like, oh, I didn't get that far in it. I think I played like maybe six hours of X in my life, mm. and I what it takes like about 10, 12 hours to get your first mech or something around there. I don't know. I heard it was more yeah, than that. something like I think a bit longer than that to be maybe honest. Twenty hours. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I know it's a while, and it's like, wow, really? They hold that back. Um, so, I mean, I finished X, but getting through those first 10 hours uh, felt like it threw a lot of stuff at you, and then it finally opened up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, personally, I'd be completely fine with, with such a mech element being included in the combat system, and I think they have the chops to do it. They, while they stumbled a bit with the first couple of games, I actually believe that Xenosaga Episode 3 is one of the best JRPGs on PS2, mm. period. And the way they balance playing as the human characters mm. and also the you know in their mechs, I think is done really well. Totally. So as long as they can do, as long as they can implement that successfully and do it in a way that is that feels appropriately balanced, I'd be super down for that. And I, you know, again, referencing Xenosaga Episode 3, they can do it. It's just a matter of like I wasn't a fan of the blade of the blade driver relationship in Xenoblade 2's battle system. I know it gets a lot better in Torna from what I understand, but in yeah, terms of yeah. how you played them in, in the main game, I wasn't a fan yeah. of that relationship at all. In Torna, they actually are separated characters with actual exactly. backstory. Yeah, can, so, you, yeah. you can right. toggle between them. There's like, was it Vanguard yeah. shifting and blade driver shifting or something? Yeah. Yeah, you, you can I basically move to Jin and basically play for Jin the entire adventure if you really wanted to. There, that exactly. So, yeah, I think if they, depending on how they did it, though, I think that could be really exciting. I mean, hell, they did it with Xenogears too, back in the uh, day. So, yeah. Really? And I need to play that one. I have it. I just haven't played through it. I, I need to see oh, that. Xenogears is mental, man. Especially well, today. Sorry. It's well, just... Xenogears, I played through so much of it, and in the Zero Saga games, I just haven't. Oh, okay. Uh, haven't. Any Three is so good. That's yeah. one of those rare examples of like a payoff uh, being not just worth it, but like fantastic. Like if you can get to those first two games, okay. the thir- three is just oh, so good. I will try at some point for sure. Yeah. Monosaur are usually pretty good at payoffs. It's just that uh, mm-hmm. Future Connected disappointed there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I to keep, man, they, they didn't, uh, Tagashi gave an interview about that's the development situation for that that it was hmm. you know they want he wanted more he wanted more to that it needed to be paid and the, it seems like they are as we'll be talking about in just a little bit they're working on a lot of other or not maybe not a lot but they're working on other projects so it's not sure, like they're right. sitting idly by and that, that was all they were Absolutely. working on um but you talked about like uh reference torna and being able to change out uh, characters so about the battle system about the where the battle system goes from what we've seen in all the games and the in the dlc mm-hmm. uh first of all do you want it to still be a turn-based or not turn-based but like do you want it to be the battle system where it's based off like cooldown still and you know and, and building up meters or do you think you would want something that's maybe a little bit more action-based or even real-time action-based hmm I'd be okay with that personally. I think it would be, it could be an interesting experiment. Oh yeah, because... I'm just wondering how they would 
if they would pull it off well because they're so used to doing turn-based stuff at this stage. So I guess that made, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily needs to be like real time. So the thing I was dwelling on when I was like making notes for this is that as we talked about a little bit and you did a great job of illustrating it, Don, is that two's battle system is a little too much. Yeah. There's a little too much yeah. to it. Whereas we talked about ones, there's a lack of general control of your party. So you either get two system, which is a little over the top, but you do have, and even in Torna, you have like the most control over every individual aspect of uh, your party and what they're doing. Totally. But at the same time, uh, all the systems working together could be. I know they refine some of the stuff, like you build up orbs faster in Torna, so that like it doesn't take forever to, to do those, and then breaking orbs is massive damage and that, that yeah. chain attack. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about like a lot of a lot of the discussion I've had about battle system is uh, refinements, like what they could do that strikes a balance between either one and two system or maybe looks to other systems. I've seen a lot of discourse about well, let's should look at Final Fantasy VII Remake's battle system in terms of how you have independent control over everyone and you can toggle between people. You can t- you have three party members, which is you know perfect. Uh, you can toggle between which one you're actively playing uh, as, and uh-huh. when you every things work on like a sort of cooldown system, you got to use actions to build up meter, which is like the bread and butter of Xenoblade Chronicles as well. But they also add in like a, I think the point of contention is like seven has a slowdown mechanic when you're in the menus choosing stuff. I don't know if it needs to go that far, but like the, the fundamentals of it is that it gives you full control over every character if you want, quick toggle between them, and by switching between characters, you're building up stuff. You're supposed to you're supposed to be changing between the characters so that you're building up stuff to use them in tandem, which is what I think two was really going for was the, the the using your stuff in tandem together to build up all these meters and systems that as they stacked on top of each other, they built up to this final chain thing that could do massive damage. So I guess like where would you where would you personally like to see the battle system go in the next installment? Uh, it's a difficult one because basically with two, like I said, it's really overcomplicated matters. And Torna stripped down to the essentials, still had like the, the action wheel, but also did some unique things with the battle mechanics where you switch once again quickly between blade and character. Um, if they are dedicated to have this multiple character route, I think that Torna actually did it pretty impressively. Like they took what what we knew and loved from one and from x and excelled in so many ways with it because it felt snappier um much more much so than like definitive edition now is but i'm also open to the idea of maybe changing up the menu completely just choosing it directly from a menu and then going through the steps to achieve it um but it, it's something <sighs> It's something that Monolith Soft never really has done before. They like to do their own thing, especially when it comes to battle mechanics. Uh, but why wouldn't they? It's not broken, so why fix it? Yeah, I mean, I, I that's pretty much how I feel. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of not fixing what isn't broken, and, and I, I'm not really a fan of innovating just for the sake of innovation. Innovate when it makes sense, and innovate when you know you're, you, you're, you've hit on something yeah. But don't just innovate just to, to make something different. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons, like you guys know, I'm a huge Mega Man fan. I think one of the reasons Mega Man has worked so well over the years is that it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel with each game. Sure. It, it found it finds a formula and it sticks to it, sometimes for worse, but mostly for better. And mm-hmm. I think that's I think that needs to be done more often. I think too often there's this pressure to innovate 
with a capital I. No, if you're if you've got something that's fun, refine it. Sure, yeah. but I think Xenoblade Two is, is an example of over refinement. They tried to change things up too much just for the sake of saying they changed things up when they had something that yeah, it it needed you know it wasn't perfect, but they had something that really worked and won. Yeah. And so I would I, I would like them to certainly keep refining what they've done. But also, if they want to stay within their comfort zone, I think that's fine. Just continue to refine within that comfort zone. But I think, too, they just they, they, they try to do too much and pack the system with too many things. And it Absolutely. just, they, they lost the forest for the trees, in my opinion. So I, I definitely want them to continue refining what they're good at. But I just want them to keep the focus on being streamlined and fun, personally. Mm. Yeah. What I take from this is that Ash and I need to play through Torna. To see yes. Them, yes. To the refined yes. I, I mean, a lot of people were telling me that after us playing through Definitive Edition, they're like, "All your ideas about the battle system." I played through too. I streamed it. I, a lot of mm -hmm. people saw my frustrations with the system mm -hmm. and how long it took for me to fully grasp it, and then it clicked eventually. And I was like, "Okay, you know, what? I like this. It has its problems. It's a little complicated, but I'm starting to see what they were trying to go for with this, and I appreciate it." But yeah, the general consensus was like, "Please just play Torna to see." what the culmination of all this is in terms of the battle system and then see if you like that. And then, you know, you might have a better framework for whether totally. they really need to change anything up for the future. I agree um, with that. But one thing you're talking about, like maybe not innovating for the sake of innovation, this following thing, this last question I want to ask about potential new Xenoblade entry. Um, yeah. they've, they tried this in X uh, uh, to, I, I don't know how successful it really was because I never got to this component of it. Um, mm. and they really haven't gone back to it. And I don't know if they'll ever revisit it. Uh, I'm talking about the online aspect, multiplayer aspect uh, of potential for Xenoblade. I mean, the game gets compared like constantly to an offline MMO. Um, mm -hmm. and you have a three-party system. Would you ever want to see them have uh, more of a on potentially online or even a multiplayer component such as like, being able to play through the whole game with two uh, two other friends where the three of you all three of you can join up and control each party member throughout the entire game would you maybe rather have something that's like a separate mode where you fight maybe like bosses or something as like a three-player team and just like a bunch of challenges or stuff like that yeah yeah how do you feel about that what would you maybe would you want to see something like that or do you feel nah keep it all strictly single player I think they definitely need to keep it a separate mode like they did with X because it worked a whole lot better. I feel like Xenoblade works the best as a single player experience. Like the story is on point. You go from moment to moment, you experience cutscenes. When you throw in two other people in the mix, um, there might be somebody who skips a cutscene. You also have to deal with multiple um, routes that people take or walk. And it becomes kind of complicated. And I rather have a good solid single player adventure than a half-baked multiplayer mode. Completely agree. Keep it separate. As long as it's completely optional, I'm totally down for that. But one of the things I love about Xenoblade, one of its greatest strengths, is you know, are the narrative and the character development. And you, you know, it's not always true. Like everyone keeps telling me, Final Fantasy XIV has an amazing story. I'm sure it does. But generally, when you go MMO, when you go online, you sacrifice story quality you sacrifice sure. character development for many of the reasons you just mentioned don you know people might want to skip cutscenes. people go through the game at different paces so as long as it's completely you know just tacked on to what's already there maybe optional maybe maybe dark soul style right you can you can get help from people if you want it 
sure, but I would not want them to, to uh, you know, imperil what what Xenoblade does so well as a single player offline JRPG, totally. just for the sake of adding online. If they're going to do that, it should be its own game, like Xenoblade Online, and that would be fine. Mm-hmm. I might not be interested in it as much, but if they made it its own bespoke project, sure, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the multiplayer missions in X were very separated from what actually happens in the main game. So you just go together in the world, and that's fine. But I just don't want them to attach story stuff to it. So, yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't want to get into too much, obviously, but you mentioned another game, 14, Final Fantasy 14, but I think the resources, the budget, and the, just like what they're going for, they're not the same things. I don't think right. Xenoblade is ever or Molotov ever going to go for that. And I don't think it's a solid game. And I don't think, unless you're going all out like an MM, like a 14, you're not going to succeed at that. And I, hmm. right. I, I think you're right. I, I would personally only want to say as a separate mode. And I think, like, yeah, like challenge bosses, like super bosses, like team up with two other people because, hey, totally. you know, it could be a fun challenge of some sort to try. But yeah, um, that, those are one of the questions I had about the future of, of uh, like, what we don't want to see in a, in, a new Xenoblade Chronicles installment. Um, but the last, the very last thing I want to touch upon is uh, Monolith Soft, what they're working on and, you know, what we think they're, we're going to see, what you would like to see. <laughs> um, starting off that, I want to get this out of the way. Uh, Xenoblade, we talked about uh, a lot about Xenoblade Chronicles X. Um, people have asked about like a port of that, you know, that Wii U game on Switch. Uh, chances of that happening are almost zero. Uh, when asked by a U.S. gamer uh, by the possibility of a Switch port back in 2018, uh, Tetsuya Takahashi, again, uh, the Monosoft head and co-founder, stated it will probably never happen because of one major hurdle. Money. It's a massive game. Recreating it would be really difficult. Um, right. I think there's a lot more in that that game entails in terms of a port job and bringing it over, including online elements as well would they have to just yeah. get those out would they even bar i i think that was a game helping them to become better masters at their craft uh, it was very experimental oh, yeah, absolutely it, mm-hmm. yeah it was very experimental for, better for, uh, the, the the most interesting decision about x is that the multiplayer was was attached to meverse I forgot about that i mean that's true right <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. That was another uh, good idea. I feel like that was them, yeah, basically cutting their teeth against, uh, like, with HD development, developing for mm-hmm. with HD visuals. And uh, as you can see, I think it paid off pretty well. But we'll yeah. see, because what is Monosoft working on is the question. Um, now, Monosoft has a long history. I'm not going to go into their history, other than mention that, you know, the, the best story you can ever hear is, like, how what kick-started Monolith Soft. Uh, because you know as their origins they go all the way back to Squaresoft of the old days Uh, Takahashi uh, and another fine developer named uh, Hirohide uh, Sugiura Uh, they were working at Squaresoft Uh, they were working on uh, the last game they worked on there was called Xenogears you might have heard of it Uh, (laughs) but before that they were they worked on uh, the Final Fantasy series in fact Xenogears was originally pitched as Final Fantasy 7 but ah, Sakaguchi right. and the team turned it down because it was too dark for the Final Fantasy series. Uh, and then thematically didn't fit. So after Xenogears, they were unhappy with the, the lack of creative control they had at Square. So they went over to, to went over to Namco, who would become Bandai Namco a few years later, and founded Monolith Soft in 1999. They worked under Namco for a few years. As we said, like the Xenosaga games. They worked on a few other games. And in 2007... 
they were acquired by Nintendo, and uh, they've worked on several games since then, including the Xenoblade series. And Disaster Day of Crisis. Disaster Day of Crisis, <laughs> which never came out in North America. <laughs> I, I, I played it when it came out back in the day in Europe. It wasn't right. Uh, it's, it's funny when you think of how it was rejected because it was too dark, but then you have something like Final Fantasy Tactics, which is every bit as dark, and yet yeah. it's a Final oh, Fantasy game. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's probably some stuff going on uh, other than what we know publicly, perhaps. You know, maybe one day we'll get a behind-the-scenes sure. story behind all that. But uh, as it stands right now, Molostov, they, ha- they have four active studios. Uh, they have three based in Tokyo, uh, two in uh, Maguro, one in Shigawa, and mm-hmm. they have a, a support studio in Kyoto next to Nintendo's headquarters, which is strictly for support of Nintendo's first-party games. They don't actually do original development there. For, for, for They don't make their own games there. Um, the main studio, so the proper studio, the first one we know, the one that is behind Xenoblade Chronicles, actually uh, was opened in 2002. They opened the second Kyoto-based stu- studio in 2011 after the release of Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, they opened their third studio uh, next to their main studio in Tokyo in 2017. Um, yep. They opened a fourth studio in Itabashi in 2018, but it was closed very shortly after that, and we had no idea what they were even working on. Um, and then they opened another studio, the fifth studio, but now they're fourth because only have four. Uh, last year in, in Tokyo, in uh, uh, Asaki, uh, Tokyo in 2019. And we also don't know what that team, that studio is working on, but we do know some things Molosoft is working on. And uh, I think that's a question a lot of people are asking now that Definitive Edition is out, looking towards the future is what is Monolith working on? And they actually have three active projects right now. First one, is a project announced in 2017, which I've dubbed the 2017 project. Uh, if you remember this, it was that uh, fantasy RPG that was revealed through their hiring site. Uh, it had that uh, more medieval looking artwork, uh, concept art of that woman with a sword blade. Um, it also had an environment, which Game Explained did a, a very short video on that zoomed in on a part of it, thinking that perhaps there was a Triforce on one of the one of the symbols on the wall uh, i remember that but uh the the postings did say they were looking for programmers who had an expertise in real-time action games with enemies who would be responsive to real-time input like from from the player character so uh this is i mean it's medieval they also said it's a we wanted people who are familiar with a medieval fantasy setting especially with western influences um, they were put posting new uh, job listings even in 2018, which made it sound like it was actually urgent that this game is pretty far along in development. Um, I, I, you two have obviously heard about this project, and uh, I'm kind of curious. Uh, do you think? Uh, I feel like this will be the first. I, I think that I first. Do you think this game is still actively in development? I mean, it's still on their hiring page, but uh, do you think we're going to see this anytime soon? And uh, from what's been a little bit teased about it, are actually excited about the prospect, the premise of this game, or you know, do you feel like you still need to see a little bit more before you can make that judgment? Probably need to see a bit more. Like yeah. it's you know it's it's so hard to go on 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 scraps of information right like that right. I mean, you know, if you want, you could take that and extrapolate the idea that oh man, this means they're working on a real time action game set in the Zelda universe. And on paper, <laughs> that sounds amazing. If that's what it is, fantastic. Sign me up. But it could be any number of, you know, a billion other things too that it could be. And if it's an original IP, 
that's exciting, but it's just one of those things I would need to see a little bit more about first and gain some context. Yeah. I remember it's hard when to, I was, go ahead, sorry, Don. No, it's it's hard to know what they exactly are working on. I have the feeling that they're working on something different. They maybe they have experienced enough Xenoblade for the time being and just want to do something else. I would be very open to that, honestly, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this project has absolutely nothing to do with Xenoblade series for one. I, I mean, I'd stake a lot on that. Um, right. uh, I remember when this was first revealed, like when the outlets were reporting on this, the word uh, series that gets mentioned a whole lot, Dark Souls was being tossed out there. The, mon- the Dark Souls of Monolith Soft. And I was just like, where are you? Where? Uh, because they said like real-time uh, action. And I was like, where have, man, people just go to this way too quickly. They need to stop this. I don't think yeah. it's going to be anything like that, honestly. But I, I do hope it is something that's maybe is is as far away from Xenoblade Chronicles as you can get thematically, and even like the the, this, the overall design of the game, and like the from the combats to environments. Uh, it, it did even the concept art just gave it a starkly different vibe than anything yeah. I'd seen in Xenoblade Chronicles, and that made me pretty excited on that level at least. But I'm also with you too. I need to see more. And I'm just like every E3 or every direct, I'm like, here we go, Monolith Soft's new project. Yeah, <laughs> let's get it up because they're pretty good with development time. They 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 oh, are yeah. very on track with their stuff. Like yeah. getting two out in 2017 was a thing they did not want to miss that target date. They are they are very and, very I mean, focused on they, they created Torna, which was another 15 hour game on top of that. Now they remake right. um, the original Xenoblade. So yeah, they're kind of trucking at the moment. It's a good point because the second project they're working on is something they were working on in co- uh, alongside Torna and Definitive Edition once two's developments finished. And I, I'm calling this the Xenoblade Chronicles Team 2018 project because it was announced in 2018, again, through their hiring page. Uh, this is the first production team. So this is their based out of their main Tokyo studio. Uh, yeah. This is the team that's been responsible for all the Xenoblade games uh, for Nintendo. Um, they start hiring in October 2018, and uh, it's interesting because right before this announcement, Takahashi said that there were no firm plans for a new installment in the Xenoblade Chronicles series. Then a month later, they announced this project, and it's like, is this a new game? Is this another Xenoblade Chronicles? There are a lot of questions to be asked. But this year, just a month ago, um, in an interview, I believe, with a Vandal, uh, I believe a Spanish publication, yes. uh, Takashi stated that uh, currently one of the Monolithsoft's goals is to continue to expand the Xenoblade Chronicles brand. It's one of their top priorities. So given that, uh, I, I feel safe to assume there is, even if this is not the project, something is being planned there for Xenoblade Chronicles, if this is not it. Totally. But also, Takashi yeah. reiterated in the same interview that, uh, or sorry, in a May 2020 interview with Famitsu, that mm-hmm. development of Definitive Edition and previously Torna had no impact on the development of this new title. When I talk about like their work ethic and hitting targets, they made sure to have their staff, like everything sorted out so that this 2018 title is still on track for whenever it's coming out. So mm-hmm. I got to ask, I, I think you've kind of answered a little bit, do you want what would you from the Xenoblade Chronicles team? Would you rather see a game that is similar in style to Xenoblade, but it has, is not called Xenoblade Chronicles something else? Do you want to see something completely unique and original from them, or would you re- would you prefer to see a brand new Xenoblade Chronicles game out of this? I would studio? love 
I would love to see something new. Like they've been working very diligently on um, on Xenoblade for this long. I kind of want to see them spread their wings and do some other stuff. I, I mean, I think that would be great too. But at the, at the same time, it sounds as though you know, given what they just said about development of, uh, of yeah. definitive edition not affecting other stuff, it seems like they could maybe do both. And I do think that it is. There's obviously a vested interest on, on both Nintendo and Monolith Soft's end to keep Xenoblade going as a main IP. It's emerged as one of Nintendo's most interesting and unique and reliable new IPs. And so I think there's a huge, you know, there's a certainly interest there in keeping the main Xenoblade line going. And because it sounds as though they can juggle multiple projects at a time, Maybe we can get the best of both. Maybe we can get, you know, yeah. maybe what that other team is working on is something new while the main Xenoblade team makes Xenoblade 3. Um, but, you know, I do think Xenoblade has emerged as one of Nintendo's most important brands in the Switch era. And uh, I, I think it would be uh, perhaps not the smartest decision to give it too long of a break because sure. I think people have kind of come to expect Xenoblade to be a constant, uh, you know, a constant... Uh, thing in, in Nintendo's library and slate of IPs. Totally. Presence, constant presence, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Do you think, as you said, Ash, maybe the best of both worlds, to further illustrate that point, uh, all the expansion that Molosif has been doing with, you know, the help of Nintendo, their staff has grown to 243 employees, the largest they've ever been, so they have four studios. We're going to mention another project they're working on, and you'll be like, wait, they're working on even more? I still think they are just I, I, this is a testament they said they wanted to be like the bethesda of like japan essentially at one point in terms yeah. of like how many projects they're working on the scale of their projects that they, 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 they there's nothing they can't do and i think if there's anyone who could turn out a new xenoblade game and a new original game from like their first production studio that it, it's they're certainly capable of that i would not put yeah. it past them to do that well, they're, they're, they have a lot, uh, they have a long way to go in terms of making their games non-functional before they can become the Bethesda of Japan. So let's hope they don't. Let's hope yeah, they don't go that way. Yeah, I was like, well, let's, <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's not, the, the good parts maybe of Bethesda. Yeah, sorry, I had to get that dig in there. I had to. Xenoblade Chronicle 76. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Um, no. I have to say one thing that I think would, I've always thought would be really cool and would be a really great fit for Monolith Soft is if they were to maybe do a, Kid Icarus Uprising style soft reboot mm. of Star Tropics. I feel like oh. Monolith Soft could do a really interesting thing mm. in the Star Tropics space, personally. I love all these grabs you get, Ash. You just like, <laughs> I was like, that was not expecting that. And so when we say Kid Icarus, I'm like, oh, you want them to work on a Kid Icarus game? Is that what you're going to need? Drop Star Tropics like that. Well, I want anybody to work on a new Kid Icarus game set after Uprising because I just adore that game so much. But, but I yeah, do think I, Monolith Soft specifically what they've already done and kind of the thematic, you know, the, the themes they've already worked with with Xenoblade, I think Star Trek could be a very interesting fit for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I always say this about like revered studios who've proven their worth. Monosoft has definitely earned the right to, if they want to do that, let them do that. Like until yeah. they do something wrong, let them keep rolling. You know, they're on a hot streak, you know, let them keep it, keep it up. And I this, mean, this, retro. I mean, yeah, retro like, is the same applies to them. They, they, I feel they like, did yeah, retro is the antithesis yeah. of this in terms of like they're vastly underutilized, in my opinion, 
We don't right. know enough about what they've always been working on. We've heard about like certain projects being canceled. It hasn't been like, we don't have as much of a roadmap as we do with Monolith Soft about. Right. They've been so very transparent about everything, at least to our knowledge. Whereas Retro has been kind of veiled in mystery about certain projects for the last few years. And it's like, oh, until we heard about confirmation that they were brought on to take over Metroid Prime 4, what the heck? Yeah, yeah it's a whole different ballgame. But same type of reverence. Met- Retro should absolutely have been allowed to work on whatever they wanted. If what they were working on raised some concerns, then so be it. But in, in terms of the public, we haven't seen that yet. So in my eyes, right. like, that hasn't happened. Right. So they're, yeah. they're, still, they're still in that same that same uh, lofty uh, group of studios. Yeah. But this next one, the third project they're confirmed to be working on is where I'm potentially the most excited and wish hopefully they have the most control over. I mean, I would love to see them run wild with this, but uh, you know, whatever involvement they have with the sequel to Breath of the Wild, I am mm. absolutely ex- so excited to see what they do after the the, the work they did on the original Breath of the Wild, being instrumental to helping the Zelda team realize that vision for an open world Zelda game and hearing how instrumental Monolith Soft's expertise was to, to, to realizing that. To be and, fair, to be fair, Monolith Soft Kyoto has been working on a lot of games as of late. They, oh yeah, the support yeah, they, team. Yeah, the yeah. Second, yeah, second production team. Because it's close to the, to the NCO office, so I have no doubt that they are working on it too. So the mm-hmm. second production team, so it's a, I guess it's a slight misconception here. Um, the, the team that worked on Breath of the Wild isn't the exact same team as the team that does all the other support. So the team that worked on New That's Horizons, correct. that worked on Skyward Sword, that worked on all these different games for Nintendo in the support They worked role. on New Horizons this year. Yeah, the New Horizons right. was the most recent one. We'll get to like maybe what, what's the support team doing after New Horizons. Yeah. But they actually made a dedicated team for Breath of the Wild that has now been expanded. Um, that is... Uh, yeah. We're assuming, so it hasn't technically been confirmed that it's actually Breath of the Wild sequel they are working on. They just have this giant staff hiring page mm. with Zelda logos for a new Zelda game. So unless there's two giant I, Zelda yeah. games being worked on. I, right. I definitely think I definitely think that Kyoto and both Tokyo are working on it though. They Oh yes. It, yeah, because it, I agree they're now done with because Tokyo, I mean Kyoto is now done with New Horizons. They have nothing in the pipeline that makes sense that both of them work together on this. I, I absolutely mm. think that's probably that's the case for that. We'll probably hear about that at some point as well. That they pulled in both resources, and the, the fact of how much hiring that they're doing for this project means it's like I'm expecting great things. But yes, uh, the Breath of the Wild two portion of the Monolith Soft team uh, is part of the second production team, which is based out of uh, this one's based out of the Tokyo studio. That's correct. Uh, yes. And they uh, they started hiring. They made it public that they were hiring for a new Zelda game in March 2019. Um, <laughs> this is uh, they've been hiring ever since. They've called some of the hirings urgent positions, meaning it's led all sorts of speculation about how far along Breath of the Wild Two is in development. But we've only had a teaser for Breath of the Wild Two sequel. Yeah. Sorry, it's called sequel to Breath of the Wild now in development. Yeah. Back at last E3, uh, Don, you were on that like episode of Friend Code afterwards. When we yeah. talked about it. that's how long it's been since we've seen her. It feels ages ago now. Good I know. lord! Oh, it's like every day now. This month, this direct. Where's the Breath of the Wild two direct? Where, where is this thing? You know, when's it gonna happen? Um, I just think. Yeah, all- here's a question for you. Do you think it's? Do you guys think it's happening next year or later? 
with regards to Breath of the Wild 2? I think mm-hmm. it is going to be a second half of next year game. Before, yeah, COVID now, despite the statements by Furukawa about oh, nothing was affected by shareholders, that was a that was a technical that was a loophole. Yeah, they've not given a public date for they have not dated anything, even the games they're publishing. So it's like they that that's that's whatever. I mean, that's business, business is business, they got to do what they got to do. But yeah, after COVID, I think there's a, a there's no chance it's coming out this year. Um, and I, I think it was a probably going to be like their May title for next year, potentially like right. uh, that big slot for the April, May. I think it's likely going to be their big holiday title next year. Um, yeah. I don't think it was ever going to be a 2020 title. I think people who were hoping it would be were fooling themselves. It, it was, was wishful thing. Never mm-hmm. going to be 2020. And I agree with you, Damiani. I thought that breath of the wild two was going to be probably spring 2021 before COVID now after, or, you know, with COVID having happened, I'm thinking at best it's going to be end of 2021, but perhaps maybe spring 2022, but possibly still like, you know, fall or winter 2021. Sure. Regardless of when it's coming out, I just want to see more of it because yeah, I think more so than one, Molosoft's team is integral to the development of this game. In fact, some of the hiring, the position they're hiring for include potentially dungeons, there's been alluding to they might be even involved in some of the story elements. So, I'm, I, I mean, they have proven themselves. We've been talking about how well they've proven themselves with the Xenoblade Chronicles series. Right. I think uh, my wildest dream is to let Molosef run wild and have full control over a Zelda develop, like the Zelda development for one game. May, yeah. I mean, it might not be this one. They, they might have the most control or most influence over the development of a Zelda game that they've ever had, but I, I still largely think you know, Anuma and uh, and sorry, uh, Fujibayashi are largely at the uh, the steering wheel for this game, and their teams are still doing most of the crucial decision making. But one day, I hope Molosoff, they they so desired from the ground up, could build their own Zelda game if they wanted to. I think it'd be fantastic. So that's why I'm so excited for Breath of the Wild 2. It's not just the pedigree of the first game; is the expanded involvement of Monolith Soft in its mm-hmm. development which to me only yeah. spells greater things for this and more ambition. I, I am more so excited what's happening with Ganon's dead body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. very curious. Um, I think more than anything, I, I, like, I agree with you, Don. Like, mm. on the, obviously, on the development side, it's very interesting to think of what influence they're going to have, the monolith team, soft team are going to have on the game. But I also just, man, the, the the story bits and teasers we got in that trailer were so provocative. They were just like, Absolutely. it was so odd and, and dark in a different way for Zelda mm. and for Nintendo that I just, and you know, ends was Hyrule Castle rising in this elbow. We, this, is, this could easily become a Breath of the Wild 2 discussion, but <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. We promised we would not do a deep dive speculation of Breath of the Wild 2. Bradley Ellis and I uh, won't okay. do something like that with anyone else until we see more of Breath of the Wild 2. On hold. That that is the condition. So Makes I, sense. yeah, I gotta put a, I gotta, uh, I gotta, yeah, gotta put a pin on that and, and and shelve that for another time. But I can still say, yeah, excited for what they they might bring to the table for that. Mm-hmm. So those are the three known projects. Um, the the what else question mark is as we said, they have a four studio, a Saki studio that opened in 2019. Nothing about what they're working on yet. No, no idea. Um, and we talked about the support studio in Kyoto. Um, even though they finished up New Horizons recently, it's probably likely they're being pulled into support for Breath of the Wild sequel as well as a, right. maybe another first party 
uh, Nintendo gameplay that I haven't heard about I, yet. I mean, they're, they're definitely yeah. working on something. But right. what I know is that they were pulled very early also in Splatoon 2 and then immediately after, because it's from the same team, mm-hmm. they were pulled into Animal Crossing New Horizons. So I'm wondering if they're still helping that team or they're doing something else, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do because most of the games that the Kyoto studio helped with comes from the Animal Crossing Splatoon team. That's true. Oh, yeah, that is mm. true. I didn't, I didn't write that, that. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, just realizing, yeah, that is, that is the same team right there. Well, yeah, because it's the team yeah. that worked on New Leaf, the team that worked on Pikmin 3, uh, Splatoon, yeah, uh, Happy 3 Home Designer, Splatoon 2, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yes, I keep forgetting your mm-hmm. Splatoon part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think we're almost expecting some kind of update with the future of Splatoon at some point in the next year or so. I mean, that series knows, is yeah. too big. I mean, I, I have to assume Splatoon 3 is an act oh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, just that, because it's Splatoon. You know, it's, it's yeah. It'd be crazy to not have some new Splatoon in the works of some sort. Like, it has yeah. to absolutely be. Yeah. The, uh, the, but to wrap up the speculation about what, what the they uh, the what they might be working on, the last thing I'll add is that in that same June 2020 interview uh, with the Spanish publication Vandal, uh, talking about like expanding the Xenoblade Chronicles brand, Takahashi also said he'd love to work on a smaller scale project, something as mm. as grand as ambitious as the Xenoblade games. Um, said if someone if it could get greenlit at some point he'd love to dive into this more personal project so maybe you know never know it may hear about this at some point in the future you see like this out of nowhere monosoft game what was that this is where it started so mm-hmm. that's what that's what the the studios what the studios have and what they will be working on i want to get into maybe besides these three projects any personal hopes you would have for something you'd like to see them work on either a future project you know just basically a future project uh, i'll start off kickstart this with a patron question from riot donkey about a a long lost monolith soft series they hope might make a resurgence mm-hmm. hey gang did you play ever play monolith soft's batting kaidos once I got a hang of the card combat system, it became one of my favorite JRPGs of all time. It also is one of the best examples of how beautiful pre-rendered backgrounds can be. Would you ever want to see Monolith attempt a less open RPG again? Or should they keep the emphasis on scale? Love and respect, Rob. I would be totally down for that. Like, yeah. I kind of bounced off Bait and Kaidos personally. It was not my thing. But I like the... Uh, and if they want to do their Bait and Kaidos game, great. But I w- love the general idea of them doing maybe a, 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 a JRPG with a more intimate focus. Right. Smaller worlds, you know, a linear progression. Uh, even more so than something like Xenoblade 1. Like, I think that could totally work. I think um, I, I love Baden Titles. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's kind of difficult to make that kind of game now, especially with the pre-rendered backgrounds that they use. It still looks nice, but there are some elements that also kind of aged poorly, like the voice acting is not all that good. Uh, and while the story is impressive, uh, I don't really feel like you're an active participant in the story. Like, you are this guardian spirit who floats on top of everything, and the characters do talk to you, but you feel kind of disconnected from the whole journey along the way. Um, if, like, Monolith Stuff does something new, I want it to be personal, regardless of what they put in, effort put in, or how big it is. I want it still to feel personal. I think Bait and Kaitos, for all the cool gameplay elements that it had, especially the battle system with the cards, um, I just don't think that they would make a game like this in 
in the future. Mm -hmm. I have tried out Bad Kinos once. Mm -hmm. wasn't wasn't for me, so yeah. I'm personally not really invested in that. Or it was the sequel, or is a prequel? The second one, I don't remember. They made I think the two. second one was a prequel, right? Yeah. Okay, By Kaito's Origins, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, it's called Origin, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I'm not that familiar with them, but I mean, for fans, it'd be, I mean, maybe if they made a new original one and tried their hand at that, sure. But I guess, this, yeah, I'm, personally, I'd say no. <laughs> if it was up to me, I'd veto it. I'm, I'm evil. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, but, it, once again, I think it's kind of complicated to make a game like that in 2020 when they sure. are good at making more personal games now. Yeah, I think you made a compelling argument for why they can probably do something that better their times better served making. Yeah, sure. yeah. But in general, like if we want to use Square Enix as a uh, or Square Soft, I guess back then as a comparison, I love when Square kind of goes off the rails and and does smaller projects and and weird like Parasite Eve, Brave Fencer Musashi, games like that. I love when Square kind of oh, takes yeah. a break from Final Fantasy and does kind of cooler things on the side. So I'd love to see Monolith Soft, like, you know, yeah, keep your Xenoblades coming, but yeah, do these other cooler, smaller projects mm -hmm. that maybe nobody's expecting. Like, personally, Monolith Soft has have proven themselves to be so good at world building. I think they could maybe do something really cool in the survival horror space. Mm. I'd love to see oh. that. Huh. Like, they're so okay. good at atmosphere and world building, but I just feel like they could really do something pretty cool, maybe. I like that. Yeah, I like, I like that. that. I like that a lot. That I think I think that's a good point, uh, especially given their history of spinning off from SquareSoft due to the disappointment in there. Right. They want to create a freedom, and I yeah. think even at Nintendo, I think they don't want to be pigeonholed into having to continuously do Xenoblade Chronicles. I think there was pretty clearly reading between the lines from Takahashi's statements in the past that. We don't only want to be doing Xenoblade Chronicles. We want to work on other stuff. <laughs> and we have a huge studio with a huge amount of staff. We're going to be working on stuff that's not Xenoblade Chronicles. And yes, it's a it's awesome that they've brought on, been brought on to help with Zelda development. But at the same time, they also shouldn't be just a support studio either. Like, I mean, it's part of the job that pays the bills, but they oh, right. should be able to work on original stuff. So that's why like the 2017 project is probably like the most interesting to me because it, it sounds the most of an original idea or maybe a new ip something original and a different type of game um uh, than the, the traditional rpg style they've been making for xenoblade chronicles for, for 10 years basically yeah yep so any other besides a night uh, the horror genre survival horror potentially is there any other genre type of game you'd personally like to see them take a crack at you know there's something like a dream you've had like oh they should really i'd love to see them make this they should make an old school like remember the studio St skip they should make an old school skip adventure game <laughs> just to do something completely nice. different um, like something like chibi robo or something really <laughs> dumb that's focused on the singular character <laughs> yeah um i think this will never happen, ever. Yeah. But I, I really think, and I say this as somebody who didn't, I didn't hate Sword and Shield or anything. You know, I don't dislike all the current Pokemon games. But I think mm. if we could infuse some Monolith Soft blood into Pokemon, we could maybe get that 
<laughs> exploratory, big open world Pokemon game that we've all wanted since we were like 10 years old. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 I envision things like the Gower Plain and, you know, like these big expansive fields, but teeming with Pokemon in real time that you can go and encounter and try to, I, I just, they could make that living, breathing Pokemon world we all have been imagining. I'm I mean, they could definitely could talk because outside of Monolith stuff, every single Nintendo studio is now in the same building, including Game Freak. I just don't that think is... Game Freak would even be willing to, to broach the topic because they are very, they love to play it safe. Man, and yeah. that has its own merits. That has its own merits. I don't think Sword and Shield were awful or whatever, but I just don't think they're interested in, in evolving, uh, pun not intended, but now intended, evolving that series. I, I mean, uh, at the same at time, I also say never say never because we also never true. expected for, for new Pokemon Snap to happen. That's also true. So, yeah, yeah, they definitely, I mean, my thing with the Pokemon company and Game Freak is that they're they're willing to do, their their innovation comes more from the spinoffs. They're willing to try right. creative and ambitious things as long as it does not radically mess with the mm-hmm. formula of the mainline entries. That is their bread and butter. They sell extremely well. They sell consistently. I think they are. They have to answer to other people, and because it makes so much right. money, as it, you both were making the argument about earlier, it's like if it's not broken, don't you know? Why? Why would you reinvent something? Don't reinvent the wheel, basically. <laughs> right. And when it comes to corporate corporatism and and money and capitalism, it's like yeah you're not gonna get some there's no incentive there for them to shake it up until a game bombs or performs abysmally they're not going to explore that to the extent that Hmm. i think people i I will i will say this at the same time though the pokemon company really doesn't rely on the sale of games they purely get most of their money from like tcg and tournaments and what have you like games Mm -hmm. always seem like especially last couple of years seem like sort of their afterthought or only the way to build up a new world so they can sell the rest of the, the merchandise. I was going to say, um, isn't it, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And, and in addition, yeah. you can see how much money they make because they have an office in the most expensive tower in Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the Pokemon, the franchise surpassed Hello Kitty. It is the biggest media IP in the world now, yeah. right? Right. So, so it's not like it's not sending yeah. on money. It's just they want to keep that, having that money. Yeah, but I think they don't really have any reason to want to shake it up. So while the yeah, while the yeah, while the game, the mainline games do are not the biggest profit driver. I think it is a it's a reputation, it's a brand thing. If oh yeah. Those things, if those things fall, or if someone finds fault in them, and it, it, that's where the biggest crack can be made in the foundation. And I think that goes wrong. A lot of the other things could start going wrong, and they, it's something they just don't want to jeopardize. That's why I think they allow like right. all these side projects. Do whatever you want. Pokemon Sleep. Do all this crazy stuff. Just don't mess with this because this ties into our whole brand image, which is right. there's too much power there. And don't mess with this. So I think it, it, it's even more scary because it's even more than it's money. It's 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 power. And that's yeah. you're not gonna no excuse. Yeah. Oh, innovate. Like I don't know how you're going to convince them to turn that around. Like even playing to ego, like, Oh, no. don't you want pride or something? Like, do you want to have the honor of like outdoing? Like they don't know. Don't mess with I this. mean, you know, the problem is that the, that the people who grew up with Pokemon, who knew kids who grew up with Pokemon like us, who are now adults and who are maybe ready for them to really push the series forward in some meaningful, surprising new way. 
they're, we're not really the, the audience for them anymore. Sword and Shield, for all the bluster about, oh, the Pokedex, and oh, you know, they screwed up. It's not different enough. They sold incredibly well. Most people don't care. And so that's, they just don't have any reason to shake things up. They will once sales start declining, but will they? Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. It's still nice to dream, though, Ash. And I, I think I think it most is, people it is would definitely love to nice see to dream. a model of soft-developed Pokemon. We, just to yes. see what it, yeah, just once. Just once to be a nice Yeah. It, it's weird when you consider the, the idea that, that Star Tropics is in some weird way more likely than a yeah, model of soft Pokemon Star game. Tropics idea is like that. I would absolutely <laughs> yeah. rate that as more plausible than yeah. a model of soft Pokemon game um, for sure. Well... <laughs> I think that uh, we're a little bit over two hours. I think that is going to wrap it up for for this episode of Friend Code. Uh, I want to first say thank you to all of our patrons who submitted questions for this episode of Friend Code. Uh, For those of you who are $5 and up patrons, you can submit questions for consideration for each episode of Friend Code. Uh, I make a post on Patreon calling for those questions, so look out for that. As our $5 and up patron, you're also a member of our early access tier. You get episodes of our podcast, some of our podcasts and shows, a bit earlier before they go public. Um, so thank you for those of you who support us in that way. And for everyone else who watches this publicly on YouTube when it goes up, thank you for supporting the show in that way as well. I also have some shout outs for the month of July 2020. Uh, these are $250 and up patrons um, who support uh, Easy Allies in that way. Uh, I'm also want to remind everyone, uh, this is the business Damiani being the whip being cracked by business Bloodworth right now. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Bloodworth reminding me that I need to, uh, remind all of you out there that we have more shout out tier slots available. Previously we were locked in at five. We have now, I believe doubled it. We expanded to 10 slots. So if you want to get one of those open slots, they are now available. So feel free to uh, support us that way if you feel uh, that generous. So thank you very much for that. And thank you to our shout out patrons for the month of July, 2020, which include Delissi, uh, Elthanis, uh, Caleb Togi Crawford, and Greg the Dark Knight Kettering. Shout out to all of you. Thank you very much. Um, before we head out here, uh, I'd like to give both of you the opportunity to let people know where they could follow you. So, and check out your other works. Uh, so uh, Don, where could uh do people follow you on social media and uh, if you have any updates, any projects you've been working on? Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Nintendo as N-E-N-T-E-N-D-A-A-N on Twitter. Uh, I've been mostly working on a video review for Lego Mario, which should go up on Game Explained this week. Uh, other than that, uh, just check usual places, go Nintendo, NWR, so Nintendo World Report for the stuff that I do. I don't have much in the planning right now because I just recovered from four weeks of having a hand infection. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. I'm glad you're okay, man. Yeah. So uh, I actually had to go to the hospital that same day. It was kind of weird. <laughs> oh, man. Sweet from that. That looked pretty intense, man. But yeah. everything seems now it's, pretty good. Uh, the hand is completely healed up. It's a bit swollen, but for the rest, I can just play games now again. It, uh, good, good. Yeah. It felt weird. <laughs> I bet it did. Yeah. Jeez. Good to hear you. Good to hear on the recovery there, man. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Ash, uh, where can people follow you on social media? And uh, you have any updates from you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at my name, Ash Paulson, A-S-H-P-A-U-L-S-E-N. And I'm primarily active on Twitter. That's where my main audience is. 
So come follow me. I talk a lot about, tweet a lot about games, especially video game music, dogs, anime, movies, all, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, and then of course you can always find me on Game Explain, youtube.com slash Game Explain. And, uh, and my main gig actually, I'm, I'm a producer with a, an outfit called Geektainment TV. And uh, things slowed down a little bit because of the pandemic, but we're starting to kind of get some momentum again. And you can find us at geektainment.tv and I'm doing some cool stuff with a show called Twisted Tunes over there, and um, start. We're going to start making nice. a cartoon that I can't talk about too much yet. Uh, and also, um, I haven't talked about this too much yet, but actually, my dad and I uh, are going to start doing something together, uh, like a show together. Yeah, and so we're going to kind of leverage uh, his audience of cartoon fans and my audience of gaming okay. fans, and kind of do something combined. So keep That's an eye on my sweet. Twitter for that. But uh, but basically, yeah, uh, Flappers Comedy Club is going to sponsor hmm. us doing a show together. Nice. So I, this nice. is like the first time I've talked about it. So oh yeah. the Allies gets the exclusive uh, announcement <laughs> here. But uh, that'll get going That's sometime really... in the next month mm-hmm. or so. So uh, keep an eye out for that. If you're a fan of my dad's work as well, then you'll want to check that out. I want to give one more shout out. So I think I, think I told you this, Damiani. So when I showed my hand for the first time, um, I got a very young doctor. Um, oh, yeah. And it turned out that he was actually a big fan of Easy Ally. So shout out to him. Nice. That was Love really that. cool to hear that. I was just like, whoa, that's, uh, that, that's a really good thing to hear. Also, I was like, man, I hope you recover really quickly. But at the same time, hearing uh, hearing about fans uh, anywhere outside of uh, America is always nice to hear. Because <laughs> well, that, like, that's we're, the we're, best. We're, we're always told like, oh, yeah, there are people listening all over the world. I'm like, I'm sure there are. But like, who, like it has to be like a really small like group and they're mostly like it's hearing like the people and just like what different backgrounds what different professions that are into that it's just it's always nice to hear that because it helps yeah. spread yeah, the normalization of this because you know being at my age and how long i've been doing this there was a time when like this was not like a the, the most normal thing it wasn't viewed as a normal like you wouldn't even call it a job like oh this is not a job it is not normal right. and stuff so hearing more of these types of stories and testaments helps reinforce that that messaging of the normalization of this and stuff and uh i'm all for that positivity and that, that messaging so yeah thank you for sharing that though that time i was like yeah, right there, yeah. i was like yes that's awesome thank you well um, i know at absolutely. least that if i were if i had to go to the hospital i wouldn't care about whether the doctor I had, if they had diplomas, credentials, whatever, they tell me they're a fan of Easy Allies. I know my life is in good hands. <laughs> yeah, they were very nice. He was very nice. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I know. I could keep talking about. I was just like, man, I just want to keep talking about Zelda. <laughs> I know, right? I just want to keep talking no. about Zelda. Yeah, no, you must d- uh. desist. That uh, that that uh, that rumor direct that was supposed to be today never happened. Last week people were like, "There's a proper direct happening next Monday." I was uh-huh. like, "Oh come on, no. it never ends. No. It just never ends." There's always uh, a direct. There are two things that are always true about Nintendo. There's always a direct coming, and they're always doomed. Yeah, those things are always true about Nintendo. It's as constant as gravity and death Very taxes. True. Very true. Yeah. But uh, hey, thank you both of you for joining me. Um, and uh, discussing all things Xenoblade and Microsoft. Absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks to everyone who was watching again. And uh, until next time, everybody, may the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. <laughs> Bye, See everybody. you later.